Hey, everybody. Well, here's a good podcast. This was awesome. Uh, thanks for tuning in to all the things. I am Luke Tim, and I uh, appreciate you guys listening. As I've said before, I'll say it again. Please consider sharing this, telling somebody else about it, rating me on iTunes, all that kind of fun stuff, just because eh, I, I want to do this for good reasons. And if nobody is ever going to listen, that's not true. A lot of people are listening, and I'm pretty excited about it. So, yeah, today I talked to Brandon. You guys might remember him as uh, Brandon, the former Satanist. That's correct. He also, by the way, has like a master's degree in economics, but whatever. He's also Brandon, the former Satanist, so that's kind of fun. But, yeah. Good time, good conversation. I kind of wanted to do a, a, a makeup when we were talking about Duncan and I spent a, a bunch of time sounding like morons talking about healthcare, and uh, that's not good. So um, we chat a little bit about that. Um, we also chatted about a bunch of other stuff, uh, some biblical church stuff. Um, man, yeah, we were everywhere in this podcast, but it was a lot of fun and uh, it, it never got dull and never got slow. So I appreciate him coming in, um, for taking uh, time out of his world to come on in and chat with me, but uh, you don't want to listen to me, you want to listen to him. So would you please give it up for my good friend, Brandon? Can you talk about it on, on the mic? Maybe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say congratulations, Brandon, on a new job. Yeah, it's exciting, I guess. But I didn't want to say that if you like you weren't supposed to talk about it. But you've told, you've already resigned, is that what it is, or quit, or? Gave notice. Gave notice. Yeah, I guess I resigned. I didn't yeah. send a letter, though. That's usually what you're supposed to do, I think, at this level of your career. But yeah. You're, I'm sure I'll write up some nice letter. Yeah, you're you're a big boy now. Yeah, <laughs> you can't just stump your feet and walk. I, wait, <laughs> this isn't Dairy Queen or McDonald's. So. Yeah, but you're saying it's it's a tough tough decision because you like the job you were doing. Yes, and um, it's my first kind of non-contract since I've been back in the Midwest. When I moved back from Texas, everything else was kind of short term. Mm-hmm. So this is my first like, oh, it's technically permanent. Although I started as a temp, technically. Okay. So now I'm going to another, quote, temp job, but maybe it'll turn out the same and it'll be something permanent. Yeah. Just seems like there's more opportunity and the big dollar bills calling my name. Dollar, dollar bills, y'all. Yeah. Big company and all that stability and, yeah, they're not going anywhere. So I think that's – I think you're smart. I really do. I was nervous when you said it was a temporary job. I was like, oh, that always makes me nervous. Yeah. But I think a lot of companies are doing that now because the job market's so strong. Mm -hmm. There are more jobs than people. Now, right. So they get essentially a six-month job interview. Yeah, yeah, and, it, and so now it's on you. Get and the job. It, and if it doesn't work out, they're like, "Sorry, your contract's over." But if they love you, you know. Yeah. Someone could quit in that department between now and March thirty-first, and now I'll have access to the internal job board at the new company. So come beginning of the year, whenever I feel like it's crunch time, I can just start applying left and right too. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's I honestly. Um, I think we're living in a strange time when we think about job markets and our economy right now. And that's part of the reason why I want to have you on is, is to apologize to everybody about the podcast Duncan and I did on healthcare and maybe try and clean some of that up. But economics is kind of your thing, and I'm always interested in that. Yeah, I pulled out some hair listening to you all talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I, we, 
for no reason, I hit record, and we were just going to wrap up a conversation, whatever we were saying, and it turned into healthcare, and it went for like 40 minutes or something stupid. <laughs> Neither one of us know what we're talking about. But why, why don't we have universal healthcare? In America, well, actually, I just figured this out, and it's not an economic reason. It's a lesson of history. Okay. Um, in World War One, the German – what was his name? The leader of Germany. Hitler. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we'll get there. No, I know. Um, uh, Ferdinand? Yes. Archduke Ferdinand? No, he's the guy who got killed that started World War One. Yeah. Uh, Wilhelm, anyway. Wilhelm something. He was calling for universal health care for Germans. Okay. So America's like, we don't do that because we're not like them. Fast forward, Hitler was calling for a similar thing for the Germans, universal health care, under his socialist banner, which wasn't at all socialist, it's straight up fascism. But Americans were like, we don't do that either. Right. Um, but there's also this whole thing about – so during World War – it's one or two, you couldn't raise wages yes. in America? Yeah, that was World War Two. Two. Okay. Yep. So you couldn't raise wages in America. So how do you entice people to come to your job? Give them health care. Offer benefits, yep. That's why now, since World War II, we have health care tied to your employment. That's the only reason why. Yeah, so that's always um, – I mean, there's like five things I wanted to – I'm going to have to open up my laptop and take notes so I remember. <laughs> so um, I've always thought that that is bonkers. Why do we tie um, this one kind of insurance to employment? It's literally that reason. It's so bonkers. Because I actually called one of my economist friends who's actually – Dr. McMahon at uh, – crap. I don't know where he's – he just moved from University of Arkansas, Little Rock. He's in Philly now. Okay. But I called him. I was like, talking about health care, but I know I'm going to stumble my way through it. Do you have any advice? He sent me some lecture notes, and I'll be honest. I didn't read them, so I'm probably still going to stumble <laughs> my way through it. But he goes, do you know why we have it tied to em- employment? And I'm like, no, but I want you to tell me. So, and that's why. Yeah. That's it. And, I, and I, I was vaguely aware of that, I, and I haven't done enough reading on it. But I know like um, – so there were there weren't any property taxes or no income tax. Income tax didn't exist until after World War II, and um, the way in which we managed uh, the the economy and in that regard was tariffs. So you didn't have an income tax, so you had more money from your paycheck, but the stuff you bought was stupid expensive. Right. So then it was like, oh well, here's what we're going to do: we're going to remove tariffs, and you're going to have more. Uh, you're going to be taxed more. But your, your crap you're buying is going to be a ton cheaper because anything that's imported steel is going to drive the cost of cars down. Everything is going to get cheaper. And, right. and, and that happened. But now it's like, okay, so we have we still have income tax. And now tariffs are coming back. Um, <laughs> rut roll. <laughs> we, we could actually be in for a, a problem. Um, but that's just the side note. That was an interesting thing I just read recently. That's a very conservative stance to take, huh? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I am. It's interesting. What I want. What, so, getting getting specifically to the healthcare question and insurance in in um, tying to your job, it makes no sense to me. I'm I'm a lot involved in the business side of the church, sure. so I get it. Like right now, my health insurance costs a buttload, and when when you put together a package for somebody to hire them. It's got their salary, and then you add like fifteen or twenty thousand dollars in a benefit package to that, and that's that's the salary. Right. So if we had 
a single payer health insurance, everybody screams like, my taxes are going to go away, all my taxes. Well, what if we increase your pay by the 15 grand that your company is now not putting in? Right. <laughs> so, yes, taxes go up. And the cost per person would go down. And the cost per person goes down. Um, so the whole argument that it will never work in America because we're too big is actually an argument for universal health care. Because the more people that are under the umbrella, the better it is and the more equi- equitable it is. Right. So it's like, well, we're not Sweden. We're not. We're, no, we're not. We're bigger. And that's actually a good thing. Um, Mathematically, that should play out in favor of. I get it. Exactly. Um, so the idea is, and I, we can't do graphs on the air, so it's going to be really hard for me, is that. <laughs> you need a spreadsheet. <laughs> imagine a normal bell curve like you used to seeing, you know, you ruin the curve. Sixth grade. Yeah. Yes. The average <laughs> curve. Right. And in the middle, you have the average health of a person. Over here, you have unhealthy people, and over here, you have healthy people, or vice versa. It doesn't really matter. What happens when people can elect to have insurance or not? Unhealthy people want insurance. We'll call them unhealthy, and I'm using that term very loose, sorry. People that have degenerative cancer or epilepsy, like <laughs> people that need health care, yeah. they're more likely to go, yes, I need health insurance. And the people that are super healthy and young, that are like, you know, I'm 22 years old. I haven't been to the doctor in five years. I'm good. I don't need it right now until I get some money under my belt. Those people aren't going to buy health insurance. So then what happens to that curve? It gets really skewed so that people under the curve are mostly unhealthy, mm-hmm. quote unquote. And now the average price goes way up. Yep. Universal health care forces everybody to be under the curve and get the price back down. Yeah. Um, I've, I've never been able to have someone argue it out of me that it would be better for us. I, I I've thought of it both ways, and I get the idea. The one thing that Duncan said is we need to get back to patient-centered health care. Sure. I think we can do that and still have coverage for everybody. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how that would work. I'm not a policymaker. I'm not a lawyer that's making a living out of arguing about policy. Right. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how we get back to, quote, patient-centered care. But i tell you what, I think – from your experience, I'm sure you've been to a doctor before. The insurance companies are a whole other level of, you know, like my dad gets nine medications because, oh, we're not covering that. Yep. And you have to do a whole appeal. And if people aren't like, you know what, I don't care anymore. I'm old. Guess what? They're not going to appeal. <laughs> right. And they're going to die. Yeah, we already have death panels. They're insurance companies. Right. They're adjusters. <laughs> they're actuaries. And they're just doing the math. And Obamacare was like this quick fix. They wanted to get more people under the umbrella which is why you're forced to carry it. That's the whole idea of what I just explained. Right. But it's been kind of inefficient. And the one thing the liberals didn't get was the public option. The idea was that people could go buy Medicaid right. or Medicare. Right. I kind of wish they would have. But the one thing, no matter what you think about Obamacare, is that it allowed people with pre-existing conditions to actually get health care. Because if it weren't for that, I, I'm epileptic and I would never, yeah. ever be able to get a health insurance plan. Right. Because I'm on medication that out-of-pocket cost me almost $100 a month. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't even understand. Um, so I've, I've, the, the more I've thought and read about it and, looked, and I've been convinced that health insurance is dumb. <laughs> like we, I, so I've stopped talking. I, I don't really say universal health insurance no. anymore. I just say single payer because we don't want health insurance. Health insurance is dumb because we don't insure any other kind of service – and we don't tie any other insurance really. I mean, other than I guess there's life insurance sometimes offered in the benefit package. But it's not like you get 
car insurance with a job. No. And that's the other thing. Look what car insurance does. If you're in an accident, mm-hmm. a horrible accident, mm-hmm. you pay your deductible and they cover the difference in theory. Of course, they go back and forth with – Right. It doesn't cover oil changes right. and routine maintenance. Mm-hmm. However, I want health insurance quote that it covers my routine maintenance, right? My physicals and yes. my – it just it doesn't work as an insurance model. Right. I just – I don't see a world where the healthcare insurance model works. Problem is it's turned into like, what, $2 trillion industry in this country? That's what's it, yeah. And that's what can't move it. I always go back to – so when it came down to Bernie and Hillary and they were getting nervous that Bernie might win. Now, yeah. I remember this. And all of a sudden, Bernie got invited to the White House. Not a lot of people talked about it. And they said they think they're going to talk about health care. I think they closed the door and Brock looked at Bernie and said, look, you don't think I want Medicaid for all? Like seriously? I think he goes – do you really want to topple over two trillion dollar industry overnight? He goes, "Why do you think I did what I did?" I think I said that whole discussion was about no one ever knows, no one's ever talked about it. But I think it was him reaming Bernie about saying, "You don't think that I wanted that? Mm-hmm. Like, why do you think we did what we did? It was a stepping stone." So it's it's interesting. See, I, I have a way more cynical view. I think they stepped in the room, Barack shut the door, and said, "Listen, there is a truckload of cash right outside those doors." <laughs> Maybe that happened. This is how it works. The insurance companies and all the the big pharma, they just back the freaking trucks right up and they just dump it into your pool. You don't put water in that pool. You get a nice – look at my nice house and there's this beautiful – that's not water. That's just – Gold. They just dump <laughs> coins. He's, he's like, have you seen Michelle? I don't want to piss her off. That is that is what it is. I, I don't have any faith in any politicians. That's so sad. But it, no. And it is. It's lobbyists. That's why it still exists. Yeah, absolutely. But it, so the, the closest analogy I can always come to is uh, public schools because that's like this great model where we go, no, everybody should get a free education. All the way right through 12th grade. And we guarantee it for all Americans. Yeah. But healthcare, hell no. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? You say, that's impossible. How would you ever get everybody? Like We we currently do get all people. And, and if, yes, there's some people who slip through the cracks. Yes, there are some, some crappy schools and terrible teachers. I know, but... By by far, nobody nobody wants to say, let's just cut all public spending on education. Zero dollars. I mean, we're already getting to where in a society of idiots. Can you imagine if we didn't have yeah. education? It'd be even worse. Yeah, and this is this is where I so I, I like to be. Uh, I consider myself an independent, but I have some libertarian leanings. That's why mm-hmm. Duncan and I are friends. But like the the libertarian model really is. Yeah, no 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 public schools. Right. Just go ahead. Everything is privatized. Ooh, I don't, I don't dig it. <laughs> I really don't. Well, that opens itself up to a lot of issues, right? So in Des Moines area, we, we might be fine if we just privatize every school. I'm sure churches would get involved. May I, yeah. But what happens is you're in a city and for some reason the school of Scientology opens up and that's where you have to send your kids to school because it's the only place. Yeah. Would you like that? And Probably you have to not. pay for it. And you have to pay for it. <laughs> Right. And who's deciding, you know, that the earth is round? Right. That's not a thing. If it's not regulated by the government, it might be some flat earthers. And I mean, just just the idea you'd have really clear uh, class disparity quickly. 
rich people would send their kids to rich school. Poor people would not send their kids to school. And you just have this widening education gap. And we have a widening wealth gap. We have a widening uh, health care gap where if you can't afford to be healthy, then you're not going to be healthy. That's just the way it is. Right. So um, it's, it's the same sort of thing. Now, now imagine if I were hiring you and I said, all right, Brandon, check it out. Here's your salary. Uh, here's your health care. But check this out. We got school insurance. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be like, what? What? <laughs> Why would I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's cool. So like you send your kid to an in-network school <laughs> and all you have to pay is the deductible school fees on this. But this and the tuition is this like that makes no sense that you would tie the education of your kids to an insurance policy connected to your work. Right. What's my copay on athletics? <laughs> right. So we'll, we'll cover the we'll cover the Adidas cleats, but not the Nike cleats. <laughs> It's just one of those, I don't think healthcare can function like an economic market should. So let's take a really simple example. I know I'm going to oversimplify this. You make bottled water because we're looking at it right now. Yep. And I like bottled water. And so now I'm on the demand side and you're on the supply side. Mm-hmm. And we'll get an equilibrium. Delicious You'll figure out the right price. Mm-hmm. And essentially the market's efficient when economic surplus is maximized. We don't need to go into equations or anything, but that's what makes mm-hmm. an efficient market. You're the supplier, I'm the demander. You may occasionally drink bottled water, but for the most part, you're the supplier. It's a two-person market, pretty simple. Now, imagine the healthcare market. I'm a demander, technically, right? Mm -hmm. I'm on the demand side. I'm a consumer. And so do I go to you, my doctor, say, hey, I really want uh, back surgery. I really want uh, a colonoscopy. And why don't you sign me up for, I don't know, how about physical therapy all right let's get you signed up here's the price list have a good day no you go to the doctor say this is how i'm feeling this is what i think is wrong and then the doctor tells you what you need to do mm-hmm. so who's actually demanding the health care right. the supplier so how can it function like a market there's not even the supply and the demand sides aren't even two distinct sides right right so, so this whole idea that let's let the free market take its course doesn't make sense in the context of healthcare to me yeah well it can't because the, the people who stand to benefit aren't consumers I mean, the consumers only stand to lose. It, right. I mean, you're really banking on the altruism of the entire industry of doctors, nurses, surgeons, hospitals, pharmaceutical companies, all of that. Right. Because you're right. I mean, if if if, if it worked that way, I'd show up to my doctor and be like, I need Adderall, <laughs> pile of opiates. Uh, I'll take some medical cannabis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I just start listing things to sell. <laughs> well, I think about other markets that have what we call inelastic demand. That means it's for a change in price, demand doesn't change much if it's an inelastic demand. So mm-hmm. an elastic demand is something like Coca-Cola. I'm, I'll just go as an example. The price of Coke went up to $5 a bottle. I probably wouldn't drink it. Right. Okay. The price of crack goes up twice, triple the price. Are people still going to want it? Yeah. Yeah. And they're going to get it. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the examples I like to use when I used to teach economics was talk about elasticity and you get those college freshmen to wake up and be like, want to talk about the war on drugs? Whoop, everyone was awake, right? Let's talk about drugs, you know? <laughs> so I'd be like, so what do we do with the war on drugs? We have a very inelastic demand because no matter what the change in price is, people still want their drugs. So what did the war on drugs do? It tried to cut supply. Well, what happens when you cut supply and demand stays the same? Price goes up. That's all that happened. Street drugs went way up and crime and theft and everything else went way up with mm-hmm. it because people are going to get the drugs no matter what. Same thing with healthcare. 
you need the health care. You can't go, oh, you know what? I guess I don't need that chemotherapy. Let's just wait. <laughs> right. <laughs> Until the demand comes down. So the price is always going to be in the favor of the, yeah. the producer, the supplier, because it's so inelastic. So I don't see a world in which efficient economic markets work for healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't see it for insurance, which is why, I mean, the only, only solution in my mind seems to be a single payer system. Yes. Um, taxes change. And, and I, I hesitate to say taxes go up because again, I mean, if, if living faith came to me and said, well, you know, the law has changed, it's single payer now. So your taxes are going way up, but all of that benefit package that we were paying now, that burden all goes to the employee. Would you take all your benefits and give them to you in cash salary? I'd, I'd be ahead of the game. Yeah. By a wide margin, <laughs> to be honest. Well, actually, my new job, I have to purchase my own health care uh, because it's a contract. Yeah, that's So that was a hard decision to make too, but I'm like, for the additional money I'm getting, I'll be able to afford something. Yeah. But, because I'm still paying for it at work, right? I'm still paying my premium. I just I won't have an employer match, right? Um, yeah. So I and would taxes go up that much? I mean, they probably would. Yeah. But would we notice it? I don't think. Just like you said, once your premium's gone and your employer's premium's gone, assuming employers are good people, most aren't. I don't know. Right. Um, right. Would they? Would that extra money go into your paycheck? Because then they know you're going to have to take some out in taxes. Or here's an idea: maybe corporations should pay their fair share. <gasps> Well, see, that, that's where I think the free market does you know, start to dictate and, and things would be in flux. This is why the, the Bernie um, Obama theory you have is not bad because it would be crazy because if your company said, cool, man, we don't have to pay you that giant chunk of uh, benefit cash anymore. So now you know, your salary stays the same. Now we just don't have to pay the 15 grand match to whatever. You get free health care, have at it. And then the company on the road's like – Dude, we were spending this anyways. <laughs> so let's offer the same position for the extra fifteen grand a year. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna get the employees, or maybe <laughs> in the short term they offer the health. Essentially, your instead of an increase in pay, they pay the government directly for the healthcare portion of your tax bill. I don't know how. Again, yeah. I don't know how this would work in function. Other countries have figured it out. I would like to think this giant nation that has came as far as we've come could figure it out too. Well, and I, and I think people get wigged out because they, they hear socialized medicine, socialized medicine, and they go from socialized medicine to socialism and, and think we are not a socialist. We're not, can't be socialist. Socialists uh, are evil Nazis who march on places and, you know, kill millions of people, but it's, we're not talking socialism. We're talking about a social service mm-hmm. that is, you know, so a service that is socialized, like the education system. I keep coming back to it. It's like a great example of, or the highway system. Firefighters, police officers. Yeah. Those are all socialized systems. Yeah. Um, I, I get it, I guess. I think people get nervous in this country, and I, I kind of get it. I do. But it's like at some point we have to go, this isn't working. Right. The fix that both parties have presented to us, both didn't. Obamacare, for some people, would argue didn't work. Mm-hmm. The Republicans can't couldn't come up with a fix. Remember, it just fell, all fell apart. Yeah. So this isn't working. We need to figure out something else. Yeah. And of course, you know, some of us are pointing at these other countries, going, "They have it figured out." Like, of course, you hear the horror stories, but I hear horror stories in America with our privatized system. Right. So. I don't know. I think people are a little too scared and we just need to do it. <laughs> yeah, there was a um, surgeon back in Michigan who I, I suspect 
one of his victims was one of my members, but they, they never exhumed the body to figure out um, if it was the case. But he uh, essentially had – it wasn't illegal, but his, his little side hustle was some kind of kickback or something from whatever money he made through a certain chemo treatment was very beneficial. So the more times he used this specific drug to treat leukemia, then um, that would be, for him, financially beneficial. Suddenly, everybody who came in with a runny nose had leukemia. Right. And uh, he just started administering chemo to people. And wow. And it killed probably, I think, five or six people. Um, but I can't remember how many hundreds, and I am not exaggerating, hundreds of people he put through chemo who didn't have to go through it. That's insane. Yeah. And uh, so one of my members died from a heart attack, stress, complications from chemotherapy. And it was one of those things where it was like, out of the blue, he's got, he's got leukemia. Man, he just he seemed fine. And yeah. Same guy. So, Well, that's like, you know, we get to the whole idea of death panels. And I get people don't want government making decisions like that. And I get that nervousness. I don't know if I'd feel comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. That is, wouldn't it be sort of a, would it be the AMA, the board? Along with, I don't know, I I don't know how that would look, but ultimately someone has to go. Essentially, I would say it's still up to the family members. I don't know of a a place where people would go, let's see, cost outweighs the benefit, kill them. Like, I've never heard of that happening, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I've... Well, we currently have death panels. This is another thing that pisses me off. Our death panels right now are insurance companies and the actuaries who work for them because they go, yeah, here's the thing. Grandma is 85 years old, and we don't think she qualifies for this or that, so we're not going to cover that. If you'd like to do it, you still can. It's only a million dollars. Right. So you just just price them. The death panels, you just price them out of their... Like, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. We're not covering it. So out of your own pocket. You mean my health insurance? Yeah. The health insurance that you thought would cover things doesn't. So sorry. Good luck with that. That, I mean, those are our death panels. They're just the worst kind because they just lump guilt and shame on families and people instead of them taking the responsibility of saying, no, Uh just... I'm okay with death panels. Well, here's <laughs> I wouldn't call them that. <laughs> on a lesser scale, I go through this every time I switch in insurance companies. The seizure pill that I take is goes generic later this year. Thank goodness. But um, every time I have to get this whole doctor's letter, and this it takes a month for me to get my first prescription filled hmm. because they is it medically necessary? No, I take it for fun <laughs> because they, it's not generic. So they're like, well, why is he taking this name band drug? Have you tried everything else? Now I went through miserable two years of my life <laughs> trying to find the right seizure pill right. because I just wanted to try the name brand one because it's fun. I like trying stuff. I'm adventurous. So every <laughs> – like I'll have to go through it again here soon. <clears throat> yeah. Every time I have to prove. And it's like that goes back to Duncan's point, the patient-centered care that should be. The doctor should just go, he needs this. Yes, I have done full due diligence right. multiple times on this medication. Yes, he needs it. Right. We're done. Like – I think the like you're uh, right. The panel's already there. They're just privatized insurance companies. Yep. I think the way to get to single payer is going to be state by state, and I think that that is what hangs us up when it comes to um, single payer health insurance. Is that when we think of it in terms of national, now people are thinking in terms of it's so big, mm-hmm. such a huge thing that that's socialism because it's a social service. 
that covers everybody in the country. Mm, all you have to do is pass a law that says, all right, we're make private um, – Make a single-payer option a requirement of the states. An option, yeah. That would be the short-term fix, I think. Yeah, just go. And that's – so the state says, all right, we're, we are going to figure out how to tax you on a state level to provide care for everybody in our state. And just like the education system. So there's there's federal education dollars that goes to every state. Mm-hmm. And then there are – you pay property taxes. So it's up to the state to decide how we're going to tax people in this state – for healthcare, and then it's just a matter of take a job in another state. Now you've got you're going from Iowa to Colorado. Now you've got Colorado health insurance. Good news, weeds covered. Woohoo! I mean, it's well because that's the other argument, right? People in California don't want to cover people in Mississippi's healthcare because people in California, on average, are far healthier, and people in Mississippi, on average, are far less unhealthy, are far less healthy. Yeah. So people, that is going to be, but it's it's going to be the opposite of what you normally expect. Usually, the states are screaming about states' rights. If this got implemented, they'd be like, "Help us!" Because <laughs> right? we're really out of shape. <laughs> and what's what I think is brilliant is I'm I'm not so sure. So I, I think what what ends up happening is each state tailors their their coverage better. You know, for their specific people. So, like, uh, everybody in California is like five percent body fat, all of that. So, I mean, they're in, in that regard, they're healthy, vibrant people. But man, they better have really good insurance coverage for psych meds. You know, because <laughs> like, every, every third person's on nine antidepressants <laughs> and Xanax on a drip. But but so they have to have that. But then the what about the the people who are just fat and happy in Mississippi? Uh, let's let's get you some geriatric bypass coverage, you know, or like well, a treadmill. <laughs> have you noticed in – I know it's part of it's a cultural thing, but have you noticed in countries that have socialized medicine, the people as a whole tend to be healthier? Yeah, I think that's unrelated. Uh, you think it's completely – I, I think I that there is a general – not a sense of guilt, but like a sense of, you know, this costs my neighbor money too. I probably need to get – yeah, that would transfer healthier. to the states. We'd be no, like, screw right. you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I love spending your money. <laughs> no, and, and I think like a lot of it is uh, we never walk anywhere. This is one of the, the Kenyan people. When I asked them what are the biggest differences between Kenya and the U.S., uh, the top five are always a little bit different. But included in there are things like you put cheese on everything. <laughs> Which I was like, no, okay, you got okay. me there. <laughs> it's really good on everything. <laughs> and nobody walks anywhere. And they, that's like one of the big things. They want to go back home and just walk places and and be around each other and kind of travel. There's so much walking in other countries. It's a big part of it. And and the work week is less. I think people sleep better, which everybody knows is better for weight loss. And I mean, stress is lower. They, they cover um, paternity, maternity leave. All that stuff, I think, is just uh, – so some of that's healthcare, but a lot of it's just – lifestyle culture and stuff like that that's true yeah all I, right <laughs> i think i mean i really think it would be a boom on the medical industry yeah and i think it would suck dry i mean that's your problem is how many tens of thousands hundred thousand people lose their job and we say there's no more private insurance well and the other problem short term again it's, it's just part of catching up is that there's gonna be a bunch of people right away that are gonna go oh my gosh i finally have health care and they're going to bombard the system at first, right? <laughs> they're just going to walk in, drop their pants. Can you look at this? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think short term there would be 
Sure. It would cost a lot of money in the short term. I bet the first 10 years would be, oh, my gosh, it's just costing us way too much. I think eventually we'd get caught up. Yeah. Uh, but I do think those first few years would be probably really rough, and it would be costing us a shit ton. Yeah. Well, and I think we just simply rebuild the way we do healthcare so that your first stop is a triage and, and a whole whole new classification of you know, you've got doctors, you got MDs, DOs, you've got nurses, nurse practitioners, you get all these different categories of people who do stuff. There should be a category of like triage where you walk in the door and you're like, I don't know what that is. Like there's something <laughs> on me. I don't know what that is. And the guy could be like, that's a tick. <laughs> or the guy be like, uh, you need to make an appointment at, you know, a, a skin specialist. You need to make an appointment at a podiatrist and just, just or you just need penicillin because right. <laughs> you were somewhere you weren't supposed to be. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think the whole it's like that minute clinic uh, urgent care thing where you just walk in, uh, or I mean, it can be appointment based. That's that's not the point. The point is um, they're not there for the holistic care. They're there to take a holistic look at you and point you in the right direction. Sure, give you immediate stuff. I mean, there's an argument that it could lead to things like fat tax. Yeah. I don't know. But, I know. Um, sometimes it's coming from guys pretty overweight. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that'd be such a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, oh, I got to pay two grand this year because I'm overweight? <laughs> Damn it. Well, I mean, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's going from insuring and, and penalizing people via premiums because that's how car insurance works, right? If you're exactly. a really shitty driver, you're going to pay more insurance than somebody who's a really good driver. So it's it's just a tax in a different way where you're saying if you hit these benchmarks, which insurance companies are trying to do, um, I get cash money every year for working out. Uh, all I got to do is, um, and it's it's so easy. My health insurance has a deal with this whatever third party vitality thing, and they connect to my gym. So my gym, and that connects to my phone, which connects to my watch follow all that okay <laughs> so I walk, I walk in and i start the thing on my watch it says i'm working out which tells my phone which tells the gym which tells vitality which tells my insurance he works out can you cheat that system could you just go there in the gym and stand or uh, does it act like a fitbit no it's it? a fitbit yeah yeah oh, but wow. they, they give me this oh so i i get the fitbit from vitality so they're like, all right, if he's in better shape, it's going to save us money. So we'll track it. Now, like the the cheater would be to put it on like a paint mixer. <laughs> he got <laughs> nine million steps this week. <laughs> that's weird. No, that's a great idea, really. And yeah. have you heard about these new like car insurance startups? I know health insurance, car insurance can they just don't work. But yeah, uh, they essentially progressive started doing it. But the startups are like, you have to put this app on your phone, and we're going to track you in your car. Yeah, then we'll take you in. Because essentially they won't insure bad drivers at all. Yeah. So their premiums are super, super low because it's a pool of all good drivers. Yeah, I just heard a, a commercial for that too where they, they did the same – they're doing the same thing. It's, it's not a big one like Progressive. It's a small thing. Mm-hmm. And I got to say when I was listening to it, I was like, that just sounds like such elitist bullshit. You know, like we only take the best drivers. I won't do it because some days are <laughs> – I'm in a rush or I'm driving not as well as I normally do. And what if that's the day it's in my car? I mean, this guy drives like an asshole. You know? <laughs> I get it. I get it. But that's – you know, back to car insurance. And this is another thing I hate about the concept of health insurance. Car insurance, house insurance, insurance is, is generally on a thing where you can just look up with a blue, bet, blue book value and say, my car is worth ten grand. i have got a $1,000 deductible. I got in a wreck. I got a check for nine grand. 
done. Like that's that's done. But it's like, well, how much is your health worth? And then it gets like really specific and granular. Like, um, so you know, I've my shoulder kind of bothers me. How important is it for me to have a shoulder that doesn't bother me? Right. What if they're like, well, just don't lift things. But I like lifting things. <laughs> we'll stop it. And it's hard to put a price on that because that's something we, whether we realize we do it or not, we do that every time we make a purchase. Yeah. We have a willingness to pay a certain price. And anything we pay below that is a surplus to us. Mm-hmm. That's hard to do with healthcare because so, a lot of times you don't even know how healthy you are, let alone I, like, I came in and said, okay, how much would you be willing to pay for your seizure meds? I don't know. I guess half my yearly salary because otherwise I won't be able to work. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, <laughs> Right. Yeah. What, what is it worth to uh, what is it worth to an artist or, or a painter or something to, to lose a couple of fingers? I mean that's kind of a big deal. If I lost a couple of fingers, I can still do my job. Yeah. You know? But if I, could, if I was an artist and now I can't or play the piano, <laughs> you know, would it, like hearing. Hearing is a great one. Um, one of the members of our church has got – bummer hearing because he was a infantry grunt and dropping mortars um so he doesn't hear very well that's not the worst thing i mean i'm sure he'd love to hear better but right now let's say our worship director <laughs> loses her hearing right. a bit more important for her than it is for Roger. i didn't mean to laugh just it's put a <laughs> yeah. picture in my mind uh-huh. of- <laughs> Stupid handicap person. What a jerk. <laughs> right. But it's like it's it's so hard to say, but but a Ford Taurus is worth what a Ford Taurus is worth. That's it. And you cut a check for that amount. So your ears are worth what your ears are worth. Kinda. But for some person so some people they're way more valuable. Yeah. See so you can't even like get a good valuation of what your insurance. We don't insure it, it, a service or a quality, you you insure stuff. Right. I have a house. My house has insurance. How much is my house worth? Mm, I could tell you. I, I, there's people who professionally come out, look at it, give you an appraisal. That's what it's worth. Right. Somebody comes out and gives you an appraisal. Well, hey, let me take a look at you. <laughs> How much are you worth? <laughs> well, they kind of do that, right? That's what your early physicals for. Well, that's how how broken you are. But yeah. how much you're worth. That's true. That's more of a value of life type of – Yeah. Economists get paid a lot of money to go through those calculations for courts. Right. It's a big side hustle for economists. So I w- there was this um, – that just made me think of this this Radio Lab podcast I, I listened to and then did way too much reading on it and, and research on it. But the whole concept of autonomous driving cars, mm-hmm. this is interesting because um, the, the idea is they, they did this survey and like – Nine out of ten people – it was almost ten out of ten people. It was whatever thousands of people they surveyed, it came back way over 90 percent. If you were in a situation where you were driving a car yourself and a family, you know, a, a wife and three kids stumble out in the road, now you're going to make a decision that is you either have to run over a family, a wife and, and children, or swerve into a pole, likely killing yourself – which will you do? Almost everybody said swerve into the pole. That's 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 hypothetically what I would do. And then they go, okay, we took that and built that algorithm into our self-driving or driverless car, okay. autonomous car. Now your car is going to see that there are three people in the road, one of you driving, and swerve you into the pole. And almost to a person, everybody's like, I don't want that car. <laughs> Right. 
<laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I want to make that decision because then – so the next question is, OK, so all of these cars are driving on the highway and n- none of them are um, drivered cars. They're all driverless cars. And the car, there's something happens, a deer jumps out or something and there's a wreck and the cars then figure out, OK, this is a family of five and with young kids, this is an old man. I'm doing hand motions for those people who can't hear. So so we swerve the old man off the road into the ditch to kill him and keep the family of five alive because they're more valuable. Death panel by algorithm. Right. And so I was reading this guy who's talking about he's on a team writing the code and he's like, it's so depressing. (laughs) trying to figure out like so then it's so then it becomes well that that old man was so-and-so's grandpa and he was a significant what if he's a senator oh i don't know what if he's a rich guy what if he can pay for preference so swerve him no (laughs) (laughs) right he's some rich elite who's like yeah i'm gonna go ahead and get the upgrade on my tesla so i want the family killing tesla not the regular tesla that's that's interesting stuff right (laughs) yeah i I don't know how I feel about that because <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'd be okay, okay with a self-driving car. Like, because in theory, you'd have less accidents because they're all driving and they'd be going at the speed they need to go. Oh, for sure. It would just be those weird one-offs when a human being jumps out or, or the non-vehicular yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Trees fall on the road. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that happens. That's that's why we're never going to have fully autonomous cars. But I could text and drive. I know. I know. I'm all for... Some people having self-driving cars. <laughs> but once the whole thing goes network, I really – I am actually nervous about it. One of my best friends actually kind of tangential um, stopped riding a motorcycle because of texting and driving. He goes, I noticed it so much more on the bike and he goes, I, I'm literally scared. He goes, I won't, I'm not riding the bike anymore. Yeah. He goes, I've been running off the road so many – almost ran off the road so many times because people have their face in their phones. He goes, I'm not riding the bike anymore. <laughs> I was there. I used to ride and back on Vicarage on Highway 70. I think it was Highway 70. Coming out of the mountains in Colorado, this person was um, not texting and driving. I think they were trying to read a map or read a book okay. or a magazine or something and just slid over and was pushing me into – so they, they don't use sand in, in Colorado. They just use salt – or sorry, they don't use salt. They use sand and right. they brush it to the side. It's a death trap in this like – a center a centerpiece with these giant concrete girders and <clears throat> I was just sliding over. I didn't even have time to hit the horn and I, I just was panicked. So I took my foot and I kicked this the door panel as hard as I could. <laughs> put a huge dent and creased it. <laughs> and they were like, What? <laughs> so, oh, Is Vicarage kinda of like from my understanding it's like a residency essentially? Uh it's a good good analogy. Do you go to one church? Yep, I, one okay. church. Uh, you're there for 12 months. They tend to be – everyone's a little bit different. You have a supervisor. Um, so there's all this kind of paperwork and stuff you got to do while you're there. Do they vet these people at the church you're going to? They do. Because um, what if it's like you're there and all of a sudden the supervisor comes back like, yeah, he's horrible. He's an asshole. And you're like, actually, no, he was the – you know, like yeah, – So there, there is that. Um, okay. It's not. I guess that could happen with anything, but yeah, yeah. and it's it's not it's not real bad. But it different guys are are every vicarage is a little bit different. So I knew a guy who um, golfed every day on vicarage. Uh, half the time was golfing with his either his senior pastor or there's like a retired pastor. So he was golfing at least once a week with each of them. 
and he'd uh-huh. golf with an elder or he'd do this. He basically golfed on Vicarage and preached occasional sermons. Okay. And then they failed him. And he was like, why did I fail? Like, you played golf every day. And he goes, but you never said anything. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of halfsies on that. I like the guy. But he, he was a turd. He probably shouldn't be a pastor. But So there are some politics involved. Yeah. yeah. It's one of those things where uh, my, my vicar supervisor was awesome. Um, I mean, they expect you to, like, you are going to be a grunt here and you're going to be putting your head down and working your ass off for a year yeah, everyone is different but yeah. they so they took a guy like me who likes to work and put me in a place where they need a guy who likes to work good yeah marriage made in heaven i mean it was just like whew, this is fantastic you know here fill out this form and get to work do this 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 i was like yes sir wham <laughs> but i had i had friends who that would have killed them so their yeah. job was to love people and preach sermons and they passed that was fine <laughs> but just like, an interesting and then you go back for one more year right mm-hmm so that's your third, like your junior year, I guess yep. is a weird way to put it, but yeah. And it is it is the scourge of the seminary, the phrase, when I was on vicarage. Because it's <laughs> like, these guys get one year experience playing pastor, and it's like suddenly they freaking know everything. So as a first year and a second year, all you do is sit there and roll your eyes about these fourth year guys going, well, see, when I was on vicarage, blah, 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 blah. And you come back fourth year, and you're like, well, you know, when I was... <laughs> I'm doing it. <laughs> I know something I was going to ask you. So when I taught like entry-level econ at University of Tennessee when I was mm-hmm. going to grad school there because they pay you to teach. It's nice. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> you almost have a love-hate relationship with the adult students, so the non-traditional students, because they're they're into it and you really appreciate that as their teacher, but they're almost too into it. And it's like, look, I have office hours for a reason. Don't send me an email every day for God, just leave me alone. But I love that you're really enthusiastic because they're adults and they realize how much money this is costing them. Yeah. And that's the big reason. Yeah. Right. And they're like, I'm here for a reason. I'm here to advance my career, whatever. So there's obviously second career pastors and seminary, which we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Are they kind of the bane of everyone's existence? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I wish I could give you a different answer. <laughs> but here's so I've I've grown in my perspective because yeah, the second career guys uh, at the seminary they they bring a whole different perspective, and it, it is the same thing. I mean, these guys they're giving up careers. Some of them uh, made good money. Some of them are uprooting their family and their kids, and they're like, I'm gonna I'm gonna freaking drill this thing. I'm gonna nail it. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a great job on this. Cause I'm all in, man. And you're like, whoa, just chill out we're all here together and that gets annoying but yeah on the other hand they come out oftentimes pretty well-rounded now the downside of that is sometimes and i I would say maybe most often by by a hair like 50 60 40 something like that guys who are second career come back have gotten to that point where they've stopped um the academic learning that's a challenge yeah their minds are, are flexible still to learn a task, learn a concept, but now it's like, no, you, you need to learn Greek. <laughs> this, yeah. this is not a, a concept. This is these are we're going to conjugate vowels or, or verbs now. This is this is what we're doing. And you're going to lock yourself in the library and study just like yeah. a grad student would. And they yeah. they often second career guys often struggle with getting back in that shift gears hard because it's the the seminary is not. Um, at least the way we do it, which I what I appreciate. There are some seminaries you go to where it's a couple of years of Bible study, 
good on you. God bless you. I absolutely think you're doing a great job, great ministry, great pastor. But what we do is, is we get into the deep academics. The academic rigors of the seminary are impressive. Um, it's it's one of the best seminaries in the world. It really is. Wow. So like you you have to go hard. You have, you have to study hard. And man, I can't even imagine if I was if I'd been a butcher for thirty years and was like, I'm going to go learn Greek, Hebrew, and study and write really high level papers. I don't think I'd do it. <laughs> to be honest, but I'm trying to think of how that compares to like other denominations. Maybe we don't know like. I mean, obviously, LCMS says it that way, and mm-hmm. that's just the way I'm used to hearing about. I think I've heard. I have a friend who's Methodist, and she became mm-hmm. a pastor. Um, and a little tidbit I found out to enter the quote seminary. I don't know if that's what they call it for Salvation Army. You know, what one of the requirements is it's crazy. You cannot be have any debt. Interesting. No debt. I wonder if they think that's going to make you vulnerable to the heirs of this sure. evil world, I guess. Sure. I mean, I don't know. I was like, whoa, that's a little, I felt that it was a little harsh. Like what if someone, you know, had a little bit of student loan debt from undergrad and decided, right. uh, anyway, that's not my bit. I'm not going to yeah. go to Salvation Army Seminary or anything. Right. But right. Um, Well, there's a lot of seminaries that, um, like what do Catholic priests do? They, is it a four year seminary type thing? Yep. And so there's, there's a lot of, um, systems where it's like you, you have to go through the, the system. So generally speaking, a priest is going to be, uh, a, a, a guy who grew up in a you went to Catholic school, junior high, high school, and at, at that point had pretty well made the decision, and then goes on to um, in the, in the same sort of a seminary system. So it'd be like an undergrad, same spot. You finish up with a couple of years, but it's been heavily weighted towards your ordination the whole time. So, okay. and that's true for a lot of evangelicals too. Like you can go to there's a um, Different theological schools, Duke University's got one, Yale's got one. They're divinity schools. What you do is you go to like a four-year degree, but you, d- you declare a major that is divinity, and so you end up getting a master's of divinity. So they, they take you through four years, tack on two years, often sometimes it's more or less at the end of that, and now you've got an MDiv, and MDiv means you can be ordained. So um, that's, well, that's yeah. a route too. Okay. But there, then there's some seminaries that don't require any undergrad. They're just like, you're in. And those are usually for-profit, non-denominational, we'll take your money. Yeah. Then you have the Jesuits who do all that and then get a PhD and then go through like karate training. (laughs) Go down to Costa Rica, (laughs) offer to martyr themselves, then come back and teach and blow my mind with their – it's crazy. Yeah. So in in the LCMS, you have to get a four-year undergrad. And we used to have our own system and then, um, ironically, we privatized it. (laughs) So (laughs) it was this – you went to Lutheran grade school – uh, high school and then the Concordia University system and then you went from there on to uh, seminary and for a while it was you would leave home and go to a, a Lutheran boarding high school Interesting. so my dad he used to go from Webster City he used to tell these stories about hitchhiking from Webster City, Iowa to St. Paul to go to Concordia St. Paul when he was like in ninth grade <laughs> wow Right? <laughs> like, Your family's from Webster City, by the way? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Old school Webster City. Um, my dad's side of the family. We still have some family up there. Yeah. So, uh, but then he ended up in Minnesota. That's where I was actually around the way of South Dakota. That's where I was born. So, so we have some roots here. But that system started to change when it became harder and harder to sustain um, the cost of that system. 
So yeah. we said you got to go private. So now our Lutheran high schools, grade schools, colleges, everything is, is a private Lutheran school. But my dad was a principal, so I got to go through the system still. So I'm technically a system kid, even though that's probably only about, I would guess, 15% of the guys who go to the seminary go through the whole system. Wow. Yeah, most of, the, most of the guys at least did public high school or college. Well, I heard you, Duncan, and um, his new associate. Uh, yeah, who cares what his name is? He's a rookie. <laughs> you guys were grumbling. You were grumbling about some of the seminary stories, and I was like, I bet the adult students has a good question because it comes up it's in other question. other things too. <laughs> so they always tried to integrate these two communities because it used to be 90% single guys, um, and then you had these handful of, of people over here. But that it's flipped, and I bet there are more um, second career guys now. Wow, okay. Yeah, and so they have this whole – they built this housing, second career housing in, in the woods. Um, so it's like this cul-de-sac of apartments that are full of uh, married couples. We call it married housing or family housing and their kids. And it's like this – and like all these handful of guys over here who want to drink beer, have fun, and hang out. Right. And they're like, we need to bring these people together. So they had these um, – we're all on this cafeteria plan and married people have to make your own food. So – they're like, all right, so once a week we're all going to get together for dinner and we're going to have like a cookout, camp out, or like a, you know, we're all going to eat together. But the food, because now they're cooking for everybody, sucked. It was like hot dogs, ghetto generic <laughs> chips. It was, it was, food went from good to terrible once a week. So instead of, I forget what they called it, but we all just called it single awareness night. And we'd all go out <laughs> to the bar. <laughs> Come on, eat your crappy hot dog. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> no. Speaking of seminary, I told you I was going to touch on this last time I was yeah. in this room. Why doesn't the LCMS ordain women? Good question. Um, we base it off of a couple of the texts that we actually walked through one today a little bit in uh, our Bible study in Titus. Timothy has it too. Uh, I do not permit a woman to have authority over a man. So we talked about today the, the dangers of over-contextualizing and the dangers of under-contextualizing a text. Right. So to not understand it in its context is foolish because every text has a context. But then to, to over-contextualize is to say, well, therefore, you know, no context is, is the same as my context, so I can't apply anything in the Bible to me. So, you know, thou shalt not kill. That worked back then, but now i got to murder me some people. <laughs> so The uh, purge. <laughs> <laughs> which, let's be honest, I can get behind. <laughs> Because I, I get to be one of the guys. Um, so in those texts, what we, we look at are things like, should women be allowed to uh, adorn themselves with jewels, uh, wearing hats, braiding your hair? All, all of these things we say, well, that is contextualized. We, we don't require um, to wear a head covering or to not wear a head covering. We don't require that women don't adorn themselves with jewelry we don't require these things because of that was the context of the church in Corinth. Okay, so that's that's one way to talk about it. And you go, so therefore, we shouldn't require the gender um, inclusion as well. So gender, it's all part of one piece of that's context. It doesn't matter. Well, here's how here's how we sort of sort that out a little bit. One of the things is that gender, and there's there's more than one way to answer this question. I'm giving you the way that's boring, and I don't prefer, though I don't disagree with it. Um, gender is one of those things that isn't contextual. 
and I used to be way more confident saying that <laughs> than I am right now <laughs> because um, it, boys were boys, men were men, girls were girls, women were women. That doesn't change. But the way you look like a hussy or the way you look like an asshole or the, or the those kind of things do change. Okay. So um, – for instance, there there is a you know that that text about women shouldn't wear jewelry. Well, if the context in Corinth is such that women who are wearing jewelry or covering their heads or not covering their heads is offensive, don't do offensive things in church. And we still have that today, where um, I, I jokingly refer to some funerals, none here at Living Faith, thank God, but I, I refer to some funerals as the hooker funerals, okay. <laughs> because. There is this disturbing trend of, especially if it's a young person, God forbid, when a young person dies and you go to their funeral, the only black dressy-ish thing that most of these young women own. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, can't get it. It's black and your friend died, but you look like a hooker. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Please. So... I would I'd still today be like, all right, so here's some things you have to do. You have to cover your boobs in church, right? I think we're on the same page there. I think that's fine. <laughs> now, I go to church often in Kenya, and there are women's boobs everywhere because that's how they roll. Right. And they're just, you know, hanging out because they got a couple of mouths to feed, and it's just not the same thing over there. Right. But now, there is no place where you can go until American like the last seven years <laughs> where you could be like man is man woman is woman that doesn't change culturally so we kind of stick that in a pile and are like okay so that's a different thing some things don't, like killing somebody culturally doesn't change there's no context a dead guy is a dead guy <laughs> and the same I mean we might be able to do an EKG and and you know, study it on a much more deep level and, and say exactly why or how somebody died. But dead is dead, whether it's today and you know all that data or if it was 2,000 years ago and that guy's just dead, dead is dead. Context, context and culture doesn't change that. So that's a dissatisfying answer. <laughs> but it's why, we don't, it's why we don't toss those scriptures out as, as bound contextually. Here's what I think the meaningful answer is. The, the scriptures talk about um, the the fathers, uh, so God the Father. The, the God the Father does not have male external genitals. That's not what the text is saying. But he does pick father. And I think there's some reasons for that. And he does then become incarnate as a dude. And if he could have picked either one. That's true. And then um, – this guy who was breaking all of these other social and cultural norms in Jesus picks 12 dudes. And then he has these guys write the New Testament and they talk about the church being the bride of Christ. So the way in which scripture portrays it, um, for, for better or worse, depending on, on how you look at it, we are the bride of Christ as Christians. He is our husband and he's coming to redeem. This is why in, in baptism we wear a white gown. 
in um, confirmation you wear a white gown, in, in the wedding you wear a white gown. It's not because you're a virgin because nobody is anymore. <laughs> it's not, that's not the reason why you wear white. And, the, and there's a white pall on your casket when you're dead. Is That's all one thing, the white righteousness of Christ covering you. Yeah, so okay. that's so we are the bride of Christ, and he, Jesus, is the groom. So now when you hear the pastor in front doing the pastor stuff, what you're supposed to hear is Jesus. That's why we're – I don't wear them. <laughs> but the idea of wearing those big stupid white albs yeah. is now don't look at me like I've got legs and, and arms and stuff. Just hear the voice of Jesus. Gotcha. And he was a dude. So I – I could get into like this whole arcing con- conversation about why I think God chose the the gender father to to be what He projects to us as my identity is is wrapped up or not wrapped up my identity is connected to characteristics of father. I think there's a reason for that. But the real image of God, <clears throat> this is interesting actually. Um, God is not a dude because. When he creates Adam and Eve, he creates them in his image. Them. Exactly. God says, let us create mankind in our image. And then he creates Adam and Eve in his image. So the the perfect revealed image of God is husband and wife. That's where we see the, the complete image in Adam and Eve. Adam, it's not that Adam didn't bear the image solo or that Eve didn't bear the image solo. It's just that the full manifestation of it is in their union. And so sin, when it enters the world, the first thing it does is it's, oh, we're naked, separates man and wife. Okay. Puts a layer between them. And ever since then, now the, the topic and conversation of men, women, men's rights, women's rights um, – all, all of that stuff just kind of comes crashing together as, as conflicts just because it's sinful. So it's it's not that we're trying to – it's not revisionist, but it's close to it. Like we want to try and get back to what that initial projection is. Okay. Here, here's the other fun thing is in our theology and doctrine, we believe that the call to be a pastor is the call to be a pastor. So if there's a, a female pastor down the road at a Methodist church or ELCA, I call her pastor. And I believe what she does is pastoral ministry. And I, I think she's 100% a pastor. She just can't be in, in my synod. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So I, this is the other question I've always had about context. <clears throat> because Leviticus, and I can't come up with it, there's all these rules, right? Mm-hmm. I think you know where I'm probably going to go with this. So there's all these rules. Uh, including the threads can't be mixed, all this stuff. And it goes into the things men do with their sperm. Don't put it on the ground, don't put it in an animal, and don't put it in another dude's butt. <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> but I had a professor explain to me once the reason the context matters there is because you couldn't afford to waste sperm back then. Like, you need to make more sons. Oh, that's garbage. You don't think that that's part of the reason? <laughs> no. Have you ever run out of sperm? <laughs> have you ever? Been, I have never been low since I was like twelve. <laughs> I mean, that's a good point. Okay, so I guess the follow-up question would be: Is 
why doesn't the context of some of that I, – I really don't think anyone should be screwing pigs or anything. That's not where I'm going with this. On the same page there. Uh, um, but the, why does the context of the threads, the mixed fibers, that's context now, but the homosexuality part isn't in some people's minds. Because evangelicals will – especially the really crazy right-wing ones we've talked about before will hammer and hammer and hammer. But there's stuff in their face and they're mm-hmm. wearing polyester cotton blends and they're yeah. – So it's weird that that's like we're able to separate – I know sometimes we just have to use our – a lot of people a lot smarter than me and know a lot more about the Bible have studied this. But mm-hmm. I'm just like why does that one get separated? Like yeah, no homosexuals but yeah, wear whatever you want and don't make women stay in a different house on their period and – yeah. So it, it really does come back to the same questions of context and, and how you retain and dismiss things based off of context. So um, the mixing of fibers and stuff, this is this constant reminder to the Israelites that we don't mix with, with the Gentiles. We are – God has called us out to be separate and, and set aside. And so that's what that reminder is. So do we still preach that in our church today? So, yeah, we do stand out. We are different because of our faith. Here, here is how the, the faith in Jesus means I'm not the same as those who stay in this world, who are those who are of this world and not of Jesus. We're different. But now it's, it's got a, a much more heavy um, spiritual component. It's, it's got this um, metaphysical component to it, whereas there was a very literal, physical, concrete component constantly reminding the, the Israelites. And now I would say that cool thing is the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is kind of what generates a lot of this metaphysical stuff because now the Spirit is in us um, so that what's changed and separate and distinct from us isn't the clothes we wear. It is the stuff on the inside. But here's, here's a, again, that context that didn't change from then to now is tab A, slot B. <laughs> those, those just haven't changed. Okay. And uh, so that's, that's one, one simple way. The other one is um, it is – so when, when people ask that and they, they point to Leviticus, I go, OK. In, in lieu of going through all of that since you don't understand or, or believe or, or have an appreciation for an internal separation and changing because of the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus, death and resurrection, all of that – Set that aside. It's still in the New Testament, so let's not get hung up on it. It is. <laughs> it's in Romans, right? Yeah. Yeah. So just just because if, if you want to dismiss it in the Old Testament, you, you still have to then find a way to dismiss it in the New Testament, and I don't see it. And even to say, well, Jesus never talked about homosexuality. Okay. He also didn't talk about throwing gay people off the roof, but I, I'm, I don't, I'm against it. Right. <laughs> I, I'm not one of those. I guess I'm one of those, and it's homosexuality is sin. I don't know. Okay, I'm just gonna go and say out. But it, to me, it doesn't matter because I don't know about you. I sin daily. Yeah. And so, then, and then we can go down these rabbit holes, right? So, what if a gay couple lives together but they never have sex? Are they living in sin? I don't know. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. And so, I think some Christians need to. And we, you know, this. If a gay couple walks into church, I hope you walk on with open arms because. Mm-hmm. Whether they're sinning or not, which they are, because you are, we are all sinning, mm-hmm. completely irrelevant. And so mm-hmm. I, it's people always try to pick fights with me over stuff like that. And like, like you know what? I don't know if it's a sin, but frankly, it's completely irrelevant to me because at least in any church I would go to, they probably welcome a gay couple with open arms. Um, that's not to say that everyone's like everything's okay, and it probably would lead to some talks a few months in. Yep. I'm guessing, but. 
to me that whether it's a sin or not is kind of irrelevant because we're sinning daily and my, you know, yes, me thinking dirty about someone in a short skirt at a funeral, you know? <laughs> no, I don't know what that's like. <laughs> it's probably just as sinful. So I, yeah, I agree with everything 100%. Um, I, I'd only add things to it like you know, the, the problem is with the church's attitude towards that specific sin. It's we've made it particular, a pedestal sin. Yeah, um, and then we we've allowed ourselves as Christians to be separated by it. Yeah. So now you see a sign. I joke about this Duncan because it's an Ankeny that I saw. Yeah. A welcoming and affirming church. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? There's gay people here. Yes. <laughs> so again, you're saying that would be like saying. I don't. Maybe I shouldn't go. It'd be kind of like saying um, "Black Lives Matter" here. You're essentially saying, "Hey, certain demographic, we <laughs> like you." When really should be saying, when they says we love everyone on that sign, technically we we mean it. I would yeah. hope. Right. I'm just I'm just pissed off because I can't fly a giant rainbow flag outside anymore, and it's not because of the. Cr- I would feel bad for somebody who came in and was like, "Oh, oh, <laughs> this, this is LCMS." Like, yeah. <laughs> But the with the flag, I like rainbows. I don't know what to tell you. You'd be getting a call from the district. I'm yes, guessing. President Turner would be on the phone. Like, so I just need to ask: Is that whole Noah's Ark right? That's Noah's Ark. That's what's gonna. <laughs> and I'd be like, I don't know, Steve. Did <laughs> you come down and visit? Well, I'm gonna throw you down this loophole. Did you yeah. burn? Did you burn your Nikes yesterday? I didn't. How can you boy, boycott something you've already paid for? <laughs> So the first thing, my friend made a good point. He goes, at first I thought, are these people just as bad as the people that stopped eating Chick-fil-A over the yes. the whole gay thing? And I was like, no, because the people didn't throw up Chick-fil-A. <laughs> they didn't leave and go, uh, uh, right, and like, right. you know, <laughs> well, you can't right. boycott something you already bought. Yeah, the way to do it would be to take your Nikes and sell them to somebody else. Because now Nike doesn't get money from Party B because they're buying your shoes and you get money back. And you can go and buy some Adidas. Right. It's, it's a stupid boycott, in my opinion, anyway. It, well, yeah. It's, I, people don't realize that. So Nike's no dumb corporation. They do their market research. And how much free advertising are they getting right now? So, so yesterday their stock price dropped 3%, which is nothing to them. Mm-hmm. It's free publicity. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden, let's see, we're... Not quite to the holidays, but we're getting there. Do you think this was timed on purpose? No, not at all. So all of a sudden now you have a bunch of publicity in the news about the time people are buying back school clothes and coming up on the holidays. Yeah, I think it's it's all about the money. For sure. For sure. And I asked a question. I don't know if you saw on Facebook yesterday. I was being a smart ass. But <laughs> I was like, Does, is Nike still made in sweatshops with child labor asking for a friend? No, right? And obviously that's not why the people are boycotting, but I'm like, you remember about 10, 15, 20 years ago when we were supposed to boycott Nike, the other side was mm-hmm. because of its child labor laws and people just kind of forgot, like, oh, everybody does it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't discriminate. Kids need jobs, too. The one that cracked me up, though, was that guy literally burned the Nikes on his feet. Did you see that one? I did, yeah. Like, Or the guy who cut the, the swoosh out of his socks, so there's like just these ragged holes in them, and I'm like, so you're going to walk around, <laughs> and somebody's going to be like, hey, man, what's wrong with your socks? You'll be like... Well, they were Nikes, so you just now be, now you can't tell that they're Nikes, but now people are going to ask about your socks, and now you're going to tell them that you're Nikes. If they were Adidas, and it stands for all day I dream about sex, uh, I had to cut All it. day I dream about <laughs> old school. <laughs> Who doesn't love some old school hip-hop? Uh, yeah, I think the whole Colin Kaepernick thing is astounding. I really do. It, I didn't realize it would be that divisive. 
Like maybe I guess I should have assumed it would, but I was like, all right, this dude's kneeling. Some people are going to get PO'd about that, but man, he sure has every right to. Like I didn't think of it as big of a deal as it blew up to be. It's because the owners and the team screwed up. Yeah. It's – I cannot – I was stunned. Did they not see this coming? Right. <laughs> the dude led a team to the Super Bowl. And they're like, well, it turns out he's not that good. Right. <laughs> really? And then you had people boycott the NFL for what? A week? Yeah, it's not going to happen. You can't boycott the NFL. People don't boycott the NFL. Are you kidding me? No. But it is a lot of bad press on the NFL for sure. This, I mean, it, all they want is this Colin Kaepernick thing to go away. Just go away. And, it, man, when, you, when you're telling your players you can't kneel, now what is everybody tuning in to, to see? Are they going to do it? I, yeah, I bet the, the number of people, the number of eyeballs on the national anthem will never be higher. Right. And all of a sudden, what's the score? Who cares? He knelt. Got what I said. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. It's so when it's the Barbara Streisand effect, um, which is the thing where uh, she didn't – she got pissed because somebody took a picture of her house and she tried to sue them and be like, you can't have a picture of my house. You're like, you can stand on the street and take a picture. And he's like, you can't do that. The county assessor does it. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> somebody was like – this is years ago. Some, then somebody else was like, what's so awesome about our house that you can't take a picture? I'll take a picture of that house. So like all of a sudden, everybody's like, I, I want a picture of her house. So like, because <laughs> she made a, a stink about it, all of a sudden, everybody's taking pictures of her house. So if they would have just been like, yeah, you know what? Colin Kaepernick has some uh, strong beliefs. And yeah, I think there's some things there. So um, good on you. Do you know what a work is? Yeah. It's called a work. Um, so in the world of pro wrestling, a work <laughs> is essentially – so there's a work and a shoot. A work is the, the fake part. A now shoot, I know what you are, yeah. A shoot is the guy you actually piss me off and I'm actually going to punch you now. Yeah. That's a shoot. And there's worked shoots. and Anyway, it gets complicated. But I sometimes feel like all this stuff in professional sports is a work. Hmm. Um, I'm really on that theory about UFC, especially the big, big fights in the UFC. Like Ronda Rousey just gets her butt kicked twice and she's out. Like she was on top yeah. of the mount. All of a sudden, she just gets her butt kicked twice, and that's it for me. I she, but around the same time, she's going to make a movie, and now she's in WWE. I think they're connected. I think those things are are. I don't. I don't think it's as intentionally connected. Probably not as intentionally connected as like WWE yeah. work. And it's obviously, not scripted. But yeah. I don't know. I sometimes wonder if Dana White's like. It'd be really cool if <laughs> your undefeated streak <laughs> ended. We got a lot of viewers in this pay per view, but you know, I'm not telling you what to do. Right? I, no. I don't know. I there's no no scripting or forecasting Holly Holmes and and her kick to her face that put her in orbit. That's true. I mean, that was I've never seen a kick that well. It's not true. I've seen a few pretty brutal kicks in the UFC, but that one was lights out and i mean it shattered her jaw she was gone and it just it just took it right out of her it's like um chuck liddell um she's in wwe now i know and then brock lesnar just went back to ufc yeah it's interesting how that works now yeah but see he's he's a, a skill um if you don't know this about brock lesnar he was a national champion wrestler and, and he was in the nfl yeah short I mean, short term but yeah he's so, tr- everything he's wanted to try to do he goes and does it. It's because he's a Norse god. I mean, he's a different human than the rest of us. He's just... That dude legitimately scares me. Yeah. And he's super private, so he lives out on like a ranch or something up in Minnesota, yep. actually. Yep. 
And he and he was on a podcast, I think, with Steve Austin, and they were both essentially reminiscing about how much. Well, Rock Legend does not like people. Yeah. So he stays alone. He doesn't like being. So if you run into him at the airport, like he's not one of those dudes you want to ask for an autograph or he gets pissed. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd be like, I'm sorry. <laughs> and his wife is actually one of the like divas that was big when like he was a teenager. So essentially he got to marry mm-hmm. the poster from his <laughs> teenage bedroom. Nice. Oh, yeah. That guy eats souls for dinner. He's terrifying. But it's it's just a matter of he's got um, insane like physical attributes, but it's not just size. Like his balance, his speed, all that was tuned. You you can't be a successful Division One wrestler and you know a national champion and not build just this athletic speed, quickness, agility, and put all that together, and then just take all of the steroids in the world, and there you go. You, you got a killer. Oh man. Good dude freaks me out. <laughs> yeah. I can't help but like him when he's in the wrestling ring. But I, I think absolutely, like, Conor McGregor is bonkers. He's bonkers. But he also knows that if he whips a stool at a bus <laughs> and people get pissed off, people want to see him. I mean, say, like, Floyd Money Mayweather oh, yeah, yeah. was a nice guy. And then he figured out that nice guys who, real defensive boxer, not really exciting to watch. Nice guys don't get big paychecks, so he just he created this money, this uh, Mayweather money Mayweather brand, and uh, everybody just he just got so excessive in everything he had. People were like, man, I hate that guy. I just want to see him get his face crushed. So essentially, he turned into a wrestling heel. That's what I mean. It's all kind of a work, but like yeah. you said, it's not like you're sitting down with writers and creating work, but you. You know, I I bet some of them do sit down with not necessarily writers, but a strategist who's going to be like, all right, listen, <laughs> nobody wants to see Pretty Boy. That's what they called uh, Floyd Mayweather, Pretty Boy Floyd. Nobody nobody's going to pay to see Pretty Boy, but everybody will pay hoping to see that money gets his face stomped in. <laughs> and they do every time he yeah, fights, right? and every time I'm secretly like, he's going to win. Yeah. Oh yeah. He just, he's like the Pacquiao one. I was like, oh, he might be able to pull it out. And I was like, no, he's not. That was a terrible fight. It really was. It was pretty boring. I I would give all of my money to see McGregor Mayweather in um, mixed martial arts. Oof. I would give all of my money for that. I've heard there's been talks of it, but I think May, Mayweather knows, like, yeah, I don't think I want to go that route. Yeah. I mean, he's going to talk trash and, and do what he, he does just to stay in the, in the limelight. But no. No, he gets smashed. I mean, you, you can't all of a sudden pick up a black belt in jujitsu in the next six months. <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> You're going to get taken down and smashed. <laughs> the moment I knew Brock Lesnar actually doesn't care is he had won a UFC fight. And the dude had been talking mad crap. And he's like, talk all your shit now. Mm-hmm. And then they interview him after the fight. And like, UFC, whatever, sponsored by Bud Light with the after show with Joe Rogan or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And they got Brock Lesnar. Oh, what, what's your plan now? He's like, oh, I'm going to go home, drink a Coors Light. That's right. Because uh, Bud Light's not paying me a dime to say I drink their product. And I'm going to mount my wife. Have a good night. <laughs> yeah. And he, that was it. That was his post-fight interview. Uh, yeah. That, the one time I was really disappointed in the UFC is when they had to bring him in for that fight that um, – Oh, John Jones pissed hot or something, something or somebody got hurt. I don't remember what it was. And it was like a last minute thing. And they're like, this huge card had fallen apart because somebody was injured or pissed hot. And then it was like, Lesnar, we got to get Lesnar. And he was like, 
yeah, listen, there is no way <laughs> I'm passing any tests. So can we just figure out how to, and at the end of the, and I don't remember all the details of how it came out, but like as soon as he won, he beat Mark Hunt. Uh, right after that fight, I think it was, maybe it was DC. No, it was Mark Hunt. I don't know, whatever, it doesn't matter. Like immediately after it came out that, oh yeah, I totally failed that test. And he's like, yeah, obviously. <laughs> I drink a gallon of steroids for breakfast. <laughs> of course I failed that test. Yeah, so I've been listening to some of your, a um, little bit here and there for the different people from mm-hmm. Kenya. And it's like, kind of blows my mind. Like <laughs> just the experience that you got, y'all have had. And I know you've done it multiple times now. And Are you yeah. becoming numb to any of it? Not numb. Um, That's a bad word. But like I think Debbie touched on it, you can't, you can only take so much of it home with you, right? Because otherwise it would eat at your soul forever, right? Like, Yeah. And like it's, so actually that, that lady on the way out was Samantha and uh, she was doing her Kenya podcast. I tell people, it's like when, when you, and I literally just said this on the podcast, when you break a bone and it doesn't heal exactly the same, but it like calcifies and gets really tough. And it, it is uh, actually, so it's ugly, like you have a bump in your arm or something. It's ugly, it's a little bit malformed, but it's actually harder. Okay. Or like the, the Muay Thai guys who kick trees, they, they, it hurts. You get all these tiny little um, micro cracks on their shins that when they heal, it actually makes it tougher. You get like this extra chunk of bone. Um, that's kind of what your heart does. Okay. So it's like it breaks your heart and you are just like, shit <laughs> this is painful and it hurts and you're just a wreck and but then it it heals and that that cracking has got now like a calcification to it and every time you go that happens so, and your your heart gets more durable and just tougher and so like i'm at that that place now where i still have moments I, when i was in Morunga this year i was just like oh and it's part of it's because i care so much about that trip and um just the school and stuff that's there's a lot of changes that went on and it's like man it's it's making it and that's a big deal and, and i was just in that like uh. so that was it's, it's stuff like that now when i when i see a, a hungry kid uh or and i hear horrific stories i it's not that it's numb it's just like it's it's hitting a heart that's dealt with this before and i'm like yeah man i know what this is yeah okay but people who don't know <clears throat> and and you can know but then you experience it and you're like, oh, that's what that is. Yeah, I don't know. Listening to – I don't – I mean I'm sure I could. But just viewing from the outside, I was like, I don't know if I could handle that <laughs> emotionally. Like I'd have to excuse myself quite often I would think just to like – or maybe I'd be so caught up in the moment that I'd forget. But then like when I would lay in bed at night, I'd probably go, this is rough. And I'd probably shed some tears to be completely honest with you because it's – Oh, yeah. No, we cry all the time. <laughs> Oh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this was a record breaking year, actually. We got to Kakama, got into the refugee camp, unpacked, sat down, and said, So, let's do our first debrief. We're here. We're here. And, and somebody cried, and I was like, This this is awesome. <laughs> We've been in Kenya. I mean, I guess at that point, it was like 24 hours, and I was like, Man, somebody already broke. <laughs> wow. <Yes. laughs> That's yeah. good, though. You guys doing good work over there. Yeah. It's, it's Remember actually- when I asked the question, I was like, So, what? what's the hope? Right. Like that was me asking, like, what are we going to do about it? And you're like the resurrection. I was like, that hit me. I was like, yeah. Wow. Uh So the interview I just did with Samantha was really excellent. She, she, sometimes people are are so nervous because they don't, 
talk on mic or they whatever and they just she was not like we started the podcast and she was like so wham dove right in and that was kind of her her take on it was I didn't think I could do it. Uh, I thought I'd, I'd just be a wreck the whole time, and you just kind of shift gears, slide into something different, and you, you do the work. But in April or May, plug for you. So what? April or May? You're going to Greece, right? April. Uh-huh. April. That is going to be my birthday is in April, dude. You got to go. I'm trying to. <laughs> I just I, I haven't called the agent because I just know how much money it's going to cost, but. Mm-hmm. I've never traveled internationally. Never even been to Canada or Mexico. Oh, man. This is going to be – so what, what I really like, shameless plug, about these trips <laughs> is it's it – is, this is not mission. <laughs> this is not a mission no, trip. Like, this is Christian tourism. But um, I, I develop all of these like uh, packets, Bible studies, sheets, handouts, all, all kinds of stuff to, to connect us to the place that we're at. So when we were in the Reformation tour in Germany – same sort of thing. We get to Warburg Castle and I just kind of give a little bit of history behind it. But then we have a guy with us. So because I know my Reformation history, but this guy knows his Germany history. And right. He's like, well, so here, this castle was actually built a thousand years before Martin Luther was walking around. And here's all the blah, 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 blah. And it's like, nice. So you get this whole like rounded experience. Um, and the, the people who run the tour do a great job of hitting that that nice in between where um if we hit like all five star hotels you know the cost of trip triples and it's stupid really nice yeah <laughs> you know relaxing the champagne but then like avoids the the three and two star hotels where you're like this sucks right <laughs> i'm not enjoying myself <laughs> and this it's that nice right there and that that sweet spot like um, a holiday in i don't know like no, but what do you, what not do you, quite a Marriott, but yeah, not a Motel Six. So, I, I get what you're saying, yeah, <laughs> right? Um, the like the best example is we were on this uh, tour of the of the Rhone River. I think it was the Rhone River, and there were like all of these just kick ass. You could just tell it's it's fifteen hundred dollars a night because there's these hotels that are tall with these great views over the vineyards and the valley and the river, and then like just adjacent to that, we had a hotel. That had almost the same view, not as high, and not right downtown. So you had to walk a little bit to get to the cool stuff. But we had the same view. Um, we're in the same place. It's a five-minute walk instead of a thirty-second walk. Nice. And it was probably a thousand dollars. Sweet. That's good. No, I actually I'm toying with going. So that's uh-huh. the reason I brought it up. Going to Patmos, to the cave of the, of the apocalypse. Yeah. That's going to be fun. Because <laughs> you know how much I love Revelation. I, I, it's just a great book. So where John had his Revelation, it's going to be kind of fun. And you've never been, right? This will be a first for you, too. Yeah, I've never been to this part of the world. I've never been to Greece. Um, I've never been to Italy. Oh, we're not going to Italy again. I forgot. We, are, we have to fly into um, Heathrow because you can't get to um, the specific airport. We want to start in the north part of Greece. And then just be able to loop down. So we're starting up at, at Thessalonica and then looping down through, ending up in Athens and Corinth, taking the boat over to Patmos, coming back, and then flying. I think we fly out of Athens to come back. So that way we can just – we don't have to backtrack and cover the same ground. I feel like I might be asking a misinformed question because I haven't paid attention. But wasn't Greece under a lot of economic upheaval? Is it still pretty bad? Or is, oh, yeah. Is it? Okay. <laughs> it's super bad, but tourism – It's still okay. They'll I take think. your money. Yeah. <laughs> 
Because <laughs> it never got like super dangerous. Well, it did for a couple months. It kind of got dangerous, but yeah. I don't know if it's actually dangerous. I just think they're going through yeah. a hellacious economic cycle right now. So there's there's they had like of- the Golden Dawn Party. Remember, they're essentially neo Nazis, and yeah. like, there was all that going on. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. The, there's a couple of really cool spots I wish we could get to, but like uh, Antioch would be a great spot, but that's in Syria. Um, oh. Ephesus, uh, I believe, is in Turkey. That could be in Syria, though. But there's there's some things in Turkey and Syria that it's like, Ugh. no, thank you. <laughs> you can go ahead and Are you talking about Turkmenistan at all? Uh-uh. No, I I watched a show on Netflix called Dark Tourist. I think you'd like it, too. Mm. But one of his field trips is he gets in, somehow gets a press pass to Turkmenistan. And this is like North Korea-level crazy. <laughs> like, there's this giant capital. Everything's made of marble. And, like, it's beautiful, but there's no one there. Yeah. And I had never – I'm like, I've heard of Turkmenistan, but I don't know yeah. anything. Like, why would I care? I'm in America. Why do I care about Turkmenistan? And, like, yeah. it was mind-blowing. <laughs> like, learning about Turkmenistan and this – their dictator and – Weird. He got this press pass because they were having the equivalent of the Olympic Games and they had made it sound like so many people are going to be there. Yeah, he was the only press there. <laughs> oh, that gets super awkward. It got really awkward because they got followed everywhere. Yeah. And eventually the, he was just like, I, I think go. they're picking up on the fact I'm not a <laughs> sports journalist. Guy. And like, it's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it was a good. Oh, that's funny. There's all these things. Like, I just think about the, the world we live in and like, I'm pretty learned. I would like to think and I have a university education, master's degree. Mm-hmm. I know jack shit about Turkmenistan. Right. And that's, that's one of the, the, it's like I didn't know how bad things were in Kenya though either about that. I didn't know anything about that refugee camp. Yeah. Until you told me about it. Like it's such a for that reason alone, it those trips are really good. Just to see like there's so, there are so many different ways to do life. And a lot of them are really pretty good. And you know, you go, man, this this would not people say, you know, healthcare, single payer wouldn't work in the US. We don't live that way. You go over there and you're like, but this is a good way to live. I mean in Germany, for instance, every day the bank closed from like eleven to two. Like everything closed. And you're like, well, this is a terrible way to live. Like, <laughs> no, everybody goes home and has lunch with their family. It takes a little nap if they need to. It's great. And a lot of times they do um, – I heard a more modern thing too is um, they'll get everybody from the company or your family, whichever you prefer, and they get together for like a company-wide exercise, mm-hmm. which yeah. heaven forbid we do that. <laughs> right. It's such a great um, – now again, so what I always say, if people go to Kenya and they go – the way they're so focused on relationships and, you know, there's deadlines don't matter. You know, things start when you get there, not at a certain time. And nobody's left behind. This, like, uh, my favorite quote is from um, Julie. She goes, they just – they're doing it right and we're doing it wrong. And I go, they have malaria. Like that's – that's your trade-off is a lack of industrialization. Right. Vaccines, um, advancements in medicine, roads, <laughs> like all of this. You, so you, we'd have to decide: do we want to trade all of the comforts? And this is why I, th- I think uh, Americans are uh, way. I don't think we're overdiagnosed. I think we're underdiagnosed for anxiety and depression. Yeah, but it's because we've traded all of the the valuable relationships in our lives for flat screens. I also think that technology has progressed so quickly that our minds have not been able to catch up. I think, I, that's, I think that's part. There's just too much information coming at us all the time now. Like <clears throat> I get pretty anxious at times too and it's, it's usually because I'm overwhelmed and it's just like I'm worrying about things I, don't, I shouldn't even worry about. And if I didn't have the information at hand, I wouldn't be worrying about it in the first place. So it's – yeah, it's <laughs> – 
That's exactly it. And the way we – so the benefit of that is this – what we call the, the greatness of our great country. If, if you think that is freedom and liberty, you're not speaking the same language as the rest of the country. This, this great country meaning Walmart <laughs> and, and cheap stuff, awesome things, um, loud, fast, cool, you know, calorie-dense <laughs> awesomeness. That's That's not – that world is what's generating people with such high levels of anxiety, depression, all of that stuff. I'm, I'm 100% convinced because you don't, you don't run into it there. You know what should give us anxiety and depression is the fact that our bridges and dams are all about to collapse and we now don't have adequate health care. That's actually depressing. <laughs> right. That's part of the, you know, I've thought about infrastructure a lot and I meant to talk in this we talk about health care. We all know it's bad. Mm-hmm. But no one – you don't see people marching in the streets for infrastructure. Oop. And you don't – it's not a sexy topic. You know what would work is if we bombed the bridges because we'd bomb shit in the Middle East. The Department of Defense like, there's that budget line <laughs> item. Thank goodness we actually use some of those. Let's just bomb our own bridges and rebuild them instead of bombing stuff in other countries and I, rebuilding it. I interned at the Corps of Engineers mm-hmm. right out of uh, undergrad. And there was a senior economist there and he was kind of a dope for other reasons but um, – He's, he was on the dam safety committee, and they actually go around <laughs> Sorry. and inspect the dams, the dam dam safety committee, <laughs> Vegas vacation, you know, to, <laughs> the dam dam tour guide. Anyway, um, he inspected and he says, if people knew how bad the dams were in this country, there'd be mass panic because mm-hmm. a lot of them could give it any day. Mm-hmm. But no one's going, oh, maybe we should put some money into those. No, we don't need more or less military spending. We need to give tax breaks, like fix the damn bridges. And that's why the problem is unemployment so low right now. But when we're going through the recession, I had argued for as part of the stimulus package, there should, we should have put in something to place like the WPA again, at least for like two to five well, years. They talked about it and never did it. Well, Remember the shovel-ready projects? It's, so, it's socialism. And <laughs> yeah, we bought back cars and gave money to banks. Right. Let's just hand our hard-earned tax dollars to the banks. <laughs> and they're like, we can't hand out – you can give handouts to people. Banks, yeah. But they wouldn't even hand out. It's a job. Right. Doing stuff like – how many crappy parks I see and like – Yeah. This is one of my, my biggest pet peeves with Obama is so much of what he said, I was convinced he believed and I think he did. I think he got jaded. Yeah. And like – because I'll never forget when he was you saying – see in his hair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that dude had his soul. That was his jaded. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's he. He kept saying this shovel ready project, shovel ready project. You come in, and we're going to pass the stimulus package. We're going to buy back your old crappy cars. Remember that? And I was like, sweet, right? <laughs> I'll give you mine. And so you get the old clunkers off the road, and you know that people will buy newer cars, and then we'll, all these shovel ready bridges, infrastructure, infrastructure. None of it. I never saw a single shovel ready project. Right. Well, God. to play devil's advocate a little bit, I mean, the Republicans did block him at every single turn. They tried oh, yeah. to do something. No, I, I am, I'm not blaming him. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm blaming all of them. That's I always get in trouble because I, I'll focus on somebody for a minute, but they're all garbage. Yeah. All, this I think Obama wasn't garbage. Got into office and was like, oh, oh, this is how we. Okay, I got it. Cool. All right. Well, I'm getting gray over this. You know. So I get to drone people, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah infrastructure and so this is one of the reasons like i actually went through a phase where i was like i think i am libertarian i was probably early 20s 
but I, I can't get on board anymore. And it's, it's, it is because when it, it comes down to it, the conservative liberal spit supposed to be, do you want big government, smaller government? And I'm like, I just want a smarter government. Right. Um, and economics, in theory, it should be, you know, social issues still divide us a little bit, but that's kind of a wash sometimes anymore. Yeah. Um, my biggest thing is it is economics. And like I, the idea of just unfettered capitalism, just, I don't think it would go well. Like it's already bad enough with this weird hybrid we have. And I'm one of those people that maybe it could change my mind, but I'm like, I honestly think everybody should be unionized, not with corrupt, horrible unions, but yeah. like if we could get good unions because, Every, every non-management person in my mind, even accountants, should be unionized because who else is going to speak up for the janitor or – Right. I don't know. And I get it. People are like, really? A union for everybody, Brandon? In theory, it sounds great, I guess is my point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the problem is the union gets too much power and they get money hungry. And I, I know it's a yeah. it's a vicious cycle. But in theory, the idea that everyone has a spot at the table when it comes to the next year and budgets and this – well, let's see. The CEO can't make it. You can't do 1.2 billion in salary next year. You're only gonna be able to do 1.1. Son of a bitch! Right. But someone's finally forcing him to say, "No, you're not taking the 1.2 billion in pay." I'm just throwing that number yeah. out of my ass. But actually, Bob the janitor has worked his butt off this year. I want to give him a five dollar an hour raise. Yeah. yeah. I don't disagree with the the con- the principle behind it, but I, I'm so opposed to unions. I really am. I mean, collective bargaining has very few places where I think it fits anymore, where it's just, like you said, it, the unions themselves get corrupt. Because they turn into these big bureaucratic organizations on themselves. So essentially you're adding another government agency. And that's that's where I yeah. say, like, in theory it all sounds beautiful, but I know in practice it would be a little harder to – Right. Um, but yeah. unfettered capitalism is a terrible idea. <laughs> I mean it's the, the idea that – It would essentially lead us to feudalism. Again, I think. Well, yeah, we already said. So if you just privatize education, immediately rich people and their kids get smarter, poor people and their kids get dumber and less qualified to, to be wage earners. So you just turn it – it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, but it, in general, the consumer is going to suffer every time there's – you know, unfettered capitalism means go ahead with your monopolies. Go ahead, Ma Bell. Um, go ahead, Comcast, become the only internet service provider and just charge whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, slow down the internet to a crawl if you want to. Decide who gets content when they get it. All of that is bad for your average consumer. Good for your very wealthy consumers. <laughs> bad for your – competition um, is good in capitalism. But unfettered capitalism, eventually there's always winners or losers and they start to stack up. And the winners start crushing the losers. And unless you're in that like tiny little sliver of winners, so many people get crushed. Yeah. I don't have you talked about this in this podcast? I don't I have you talked about Molly at all? We have not. That was an issue. Yeah. Um, did I talk about Molly? I don't think I did. No, I don't think so. First of all, horrible, horrible, horrible tragedy. Right. Um what was sad is within I think 10 minutes of the press conference, people were tweeting it for political gain yeah. already. And I was like, this is awful. Here we go. I'm glad since then, the first the aunt did, and now the father, I think he needed some time to get over the death yeah, of his daughter. shouldn't have to be doing it. Finally wrote a statement saying, do not use our daughter to like feed your racist views. And of course, I have some friends like, is it really racist to say that? If, if, if he wasn't here, she'd still be alive. I'm just saying. 
okay, well, that's like saying that murder that killed somebody else, if they weren't born, they'd still be here. It's mm-hmm. like, I I'm, was really afraid it was going to become a huge talking point in the 2018 elections. It might still be. I don't know, but. It might be. I It hit so close home because it was not far from here. Right. And I hate seeing tragedies like that. I know they do it with the guns every time, too. <clears throat> But I guess when else would you talk about issues like that? I, I, it's tough. Was it appropriate to make it a political thing? And then that's the bigger question is appropriate to bring it, make it a political thing when there's a gun tragedy. Right. I don't, I don't know. Like what – is there a rule? I have a feeling though if a family comes out and says don't politicize this, you should probably just shut up about it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Molly's dad said that. So guess what? We should probably just shut up about it. Yeah, but people won't because it's the internet. And, right. And you know, that several de- degrees of separation is just one of those things where – People feel like you know I I don't know that person can't can't touch or or get in that world at all so I could just pop off without any consequences and that's that pisses me off um, but I I want to like I always I, the way I try to frame it in my head is you have to be able to say two things are true especially when they don't exactly conflict with each other and they let's just be honest they are true so if immigration laws had been tightened up. If the process had been buttoned up, yeah, he wouldn't have been here and she wouldn't have been killed. That's true. <laughs> that does not equate to, therefore, people who are here illegally are all murderers. No. <laughs> right. That is not true. You should be able to say one is true, this is not true, and that, that doesn't conflict. And if uh, correct me if I'm wrong. From my understanding, the guy whose farm he works at, is like buddy buddy with some prominent Republican. I verify his everybody. Dad. His dad. Now, so my understanding is, and I haven't looked in this for a while. There's a, for a while they were saying they ran the whatever specific background check you're supposed to do, and it, it didn't pop him. The verify, right? Yeah, yeah the yeah. verify. And then that turned out. Oh no, we didn't do e verify. And everyone's like, oh, we didn't do e verify. Like, no, he had he had a fake ID. Oh, okay. And a fake social security number, and so they, they didn't have to do it. Uh, e-verify but they did the background check on the fake id and the fake social security number and it didn't come back with anything so that's that's its own problem <laughs> so that's but that's tangential to the problem of uh immigration that's done illegal and I, I think it's also fair to say if there are ways in which um immigration requires require if people who are willing to break the law to get into this country are going to be more likely to be open to committing other law or breaking other laws. Criminals are more likely to be criminals than people who aren't criminals. Okay. <laughs> so I, it just makes sense. So we should be doing both. I, I think we should be not opening our borders in the sense of liberal open borders, no borders, no walls, no America at all, whatever. That's, that's stupid. But Immigration into this country should be something that is far more accessible to more people. And yeah. yeah. Vet them well to make sure they're not crazy drug lords, but let them in. And yeah. then, you know, the, the people who I would never make that vetting process because I'm a drug lord. Yeah, we're, we take active measures to keep you out. It's interesting. I mean, there's, it's again one of these issues, right? Like, why can, we can't figure this out? Like, mm-hmm. well, and this is where I agree with Duncan. It's, it's because it's not sexy and political to fix it. Right. It's not. What are you going to campaign on? 
Right. If we fix immigration, like, man, immigration has been going great. The number of criminals is down. The number of legal immigrants is up. We're filling our companies with great, talented immigrants. This is great. It doesn't get anybody elected. Right. Uh, this is, it's it's similar to the the gun issue in a lot of ways to say like if you are somebody who is willing to break laws to get guns you're going to break laws to get guns you, you know, if you make all guns illegal then only if, if gun ownership is a crime only criminals will have guns that that is actually true you, you can put that in the corner of correct yes but I don't think these the typical archetype of actually crazy white dude that's usually who shoots up places by the way yep um i don't think in those particular cases that those men would have went out to what the black market to a group of drug lords or the mafia going hey i want some guns to shoot up a school the idea of those guys are going other ways than legally i'm not saying they wouldn't right. but i think the idea of those really awkward like like sandy hook guy like yeah that dude going out to get a gun illegally <clears throat> good luck you're gonna get shot when you go try and maybe that would solve the problem i don't know well second amendment's a weird thing for me because it's like yeah. i really do see both sides because it's in there i i don't that people are trying to debate what it means and what the actual it, it's there yeah. we can bear, it, it's a right it's where do we draw the line should i be able to own it can I own an atomic bomb? <laughs> right. I, I I don't know. So we have to draw a line in the sand somewhere. Where is it is the question. And, you know, my dad used to be a big NRA member and he stopped because they just went off the deep end. Yeah. He goes, I started defending things. He goes, I joined it because I liked to go hunting once in a while and shoot at target practice. And you, could, you when you had a gun back in the day, you remember the NRA. It's just the way it was. And all of a sudden he's like, he started getting these magazines and these leaflets. He's like, what are they talking? No, like what are you talking about? Like, yeah, so there's actually a lot of like roots in the NRA with the NAACP. Interesting. It's a really um, – and the, the first really hardcore proponents um, of the Second Amendment were all um, – not all, but one of the, the primary groups was inner city black people during civil rights. So I'd have to Google the story. I'm, I'm going to – butcher this but because this is all like before we were born <laughs> right <laughs> this okay is like pre me um there was a um these incidents of cops getting or cops beating the crap out of black guys i want to say in los angeles and um in somehow it, it, this group of black guys got into this conversation like hey, you know we have a second amendment right to carry guns and so they just all started walking around in groups with guns and not not to be aggressive towards cops but to essentially be like listen you can't come and beat us up and they'd go to the state capitol carrying guns and it's like if they were doing that shit today well that's <laughs> my guys would get smoked that's my point a white guy with a american flag jack t-shirt on with guns he's called a open and carrying guns he's called a patriot yeah but i bet if a black guy yep. walked in with the Look at that thug. <laughs> yes. It's a big double standard and like huge. But that, how interesting was it was like, listen, nobody is is stopping cops from beating up so here's what we're going to do. We're gonna to start to openly carry shotguns walking around in in these groups, not in a in a way and there was like even protests where it was like, We're protesting. This is happening. You're not coming in here with fire hoses and beating us up and throwing us in jail. We have a right to protest. By the way, we also have a right to carry guns. And if I remember right, there, there wasn't shootings, but the cops all of a sudden were like, 
Oh, shit. We'll see you later. <laughs> so I'll let you guys go ahead and peacefully protest over there. We're going to keep a safe distance. Yeah. So the, It's the, probably a good thing they don't now, though, because I feel like in today's culture, would get out of hand real fast. Yeah. Can you imagine if all these, like, different protests have been going on over the past couple of years, like, there were guns involved? Oh, my gosh. Oh, for sure. How many people? <laughs> I can't even imagine. Oh, it'd, it'd be a wreck. And, and so... It, Getting back to the whole, like, yeah, a couple of those weird white dudes wouldn't be, have access to guns, but we also live in that age where through the internet, through, you know, message boards, dark web, maybe he makes a deal and, and meets a guy. That still can happen. But this, those hey, – I sound so crass when I say it. The, the big uh, mass shootings mm-hmm. are the smallest percentage of gun violence. Uh, yeah, they are. By such a wide margin. It usually happens at home, right? Yeah, I mean it's careless people not locking up their firearms and stuff. Yeah, there's a their kid, a two year old, shot himself in uh, Clive like three weeks ago um, at a hotel. Guy was coming through town. Uh, I think he was from Iowa somewhere, but had a loaded firearm in his bag, and the kid got to it, shot himself, lived. Fortunately, the kid lived, but it's like, jeez. But then, I mean, the the next biggest as far as intentional gun violence is inner city. And, and those guys are not going to give up their guns, and they're they're not they're already not legally in possession of them. Right. So to be like, yeah, you really, really can't have that. You'd be like, okay, <laughs> I still really, really have it. Well, speaking of like interesting, so I actually read something pretty. I don't say it's profound, but it put it in perspective for me because I've always had a hard time explaining to other, especially poor white people, what right white privilege is, right? And it finally was said to me, white privilege isn't saying your life wasn't hard or isn't hard. It's saying that your life wasn't or isn't any harder because of the color of your skin. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that puts it into a nutshell really well. And I think if if more people would hear that, they'd be like, okay, and that's what they mean. Because I went, especially poor white person, here's white privilege, you know. Oh, it's the worst marketing in the world. Because they're like, what? No, I'm not privileged. I grew up me. I, that was my first reaction. Like, I'm not privileged. I grew up super poor. Like, I don't even know how we ate most meals. I remember eating beans and rice towards the end of the month till the food stamps came. Like, yep. what do you mean I was privileged? And then, a person of color put it in perspective and said it that way. I was like, you got something. You're right. Like, yeah, no, it is the worst marketing ever because there there is truth kernels of truth in white privilege um, in the concept of it. But the problem is. The left, number one, named it something terrible, and number two, has um, pressed that through identity politics to the point um, where it becomes a filter. Yeah. And and that's troubling. Uh, it's troubling because it ends conversations and doesn't start conversations. So the, my big gripe with identity politics is it, it gets more and more granular over time. So you're in a room and it becomes, you know, this this person is talking and I, and I say – yeah, well, here's what I think. Well, you can't say this because you're a, a, a man and I'm a woman. Okay, so now we've got I can't understand it and we can't be in understanding with each other. We can't have common ground because you're a woman and I'm a man. So then a woman stands up and says, well, here's my thought on it. And then it, yeah, but you're a white woman. Okay, so now we've got three different parties who we have set the rules of this engagement as cannot understand each other. Because this one's a dude and this one's white. And then somebody else stands up and says, well, I'm, I'm an African-American woman and uh, I disagree with you on this. Yeah, but you're straight. Jeez. So how many different little – it's like these little nesting cups. But instead of all coming together in these little nesting dolls, they're all scattered and they don't fit anymore. 
and we can't have any common ground. I love and appreciate diversity, but when you get to that granular level of identity politics, democracy becomes almost impossible. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, I'm usually in full support of the LGBT community, but the one thing they're really bad at is you judge somebody like he's a gay baseball player. Actually, he's a baseball player who happens to be gay. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden people, your identity politic, your identity group comes before whatever it is you should be proud of in life. Like, I mean, not saying you shouldn't be proud of this or that or your identity or culture, but is that what defines your life? Yes. <laughs> and that's, that's unfortunate. I think like, well, it's yeah, but slide all that off the table. And here's what I think is one of the biggest crises of uh, America and Christian Christian America is the question of identity. So when Christians go through a hard time, uh, usually one of the pieces of that is as I kind of help and coach and deconstruct all these things that they're going through is I say, you think that you're a husband. And they're like, yeah, I'm going through a divorce. It's really hard. I'm like, yeah, you're not a husband. You're a child of God. Like that's who you are. You're also married. You're a dad. I mean you're, you're many different things, but all of those things can be taken away. <clears throat> you know, just sign some divorce papers, it's gone, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or I'm a baseball player. Not with a torn ACL, you aren't. I'm like, oh, uh, well, I am a successful business person. Not when you go bankrupt, you're not. Right. So all that stuff goes shoop, off. Successful the table. business people go bankrupt. No. Can you name one example? I'm just kidding. Well, then they get elected. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the whole idea is that you, you keep looking for places to find your identity, and it's like this this. Um, Man, it's, it's just the chasing after the wind. And, and right now, people are really excited about finding their identity in, in terms of race and, and sexuality. Mm-hmm. Well, now, pull back and look at the way in which we have been marketed to. Like, what is it that it, that sells beer? Sex. <laughs> and, and how is it that you advance in, in this whole good old boy network that we set up? A lot of that has to do with race. Yeah. And sex. And sex. Yeah. I mean, over and over again, it's it's about those two things in our country. And, and that's what we're fighting over. It's funny that I use the term like who happens to be because that yeah. term always bothers me. And George Carlin made a really funny joke about it once. And I'm going to slaughter it. But he goes. It's like people go, I have a friend who happens to be black, <laughs> like happens to be like it's some sort of surprise. Like, oh, was his father black? Oh, indeed. And his mother? <laughs> she Was she black as well? Oh, yes, she was. And did they fornicate? Indeed, they did. Well, where's the big damn surprise? <laughs> no one saw it coming. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I was going to tell you, too. I, um, I told you one of the issues I've always struggled with, no matter, you know, political spectrum. I've never I just never talk about it was abortion. Because it's like no one ever wins in a debate about it. It just gets people all worked up emotionally. I'm just I'm not talking about it anymore. I actually shared a video where this doctor went into very graphic detail what a second trimester abortion looks like and why he got out of the practice. And I shared it. And I said, warning, it's graphic. Um, I said, please keep it civil. And I got really busy at work. And I thought, I was like, oh, no, I shared that this morning. I was like, I'm going to have to get on there and delete and, like, it's going to be a nightmare. Everyone was civil. I was amazed. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I actually read through it and debated posting, but um, – because I was, I was in one just recently and it stayed civil the whole way through. And I have, I have found that I can walk people right up to a spot where it – because it is – at some point it's an emotional argument where you land on it. Because 
I am convinced <laughs> that if you if you start w- whatever values you start with um, determines the outcome you come to. Yeah. So if if I can draw you back to those pillars, those principles, and then ask you which one is more, and, and I'll give you mine, and you give me yours, and you you tell me which one is better. That's where the conver- just people stop posting. <laughs> well, and I, I think I've come to the conclusion, and here I am. Maybe I'll change my mind. I don't know if that – I don't know if the way to do it is with legislation because we talk about can you really even legislate morality? I think we need to – and this is, of course, very utopian of me. Um, I'd like to create a world or society where that choice isn't preferred. Mm-hmm. Like where, no, I want to bring a child into this world. This is a great place to <laughs> – now it's this whole like, oh gosh, you know, this wasn't supposed to happen and da 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 all these things. And I don't want to see back alley abortions become a thing again. So that's why I think safe access is probably should be available. And then it becomes I just I think we should create a society where a single mother out of wedlock is like, I can do this. Yeah. Because as of now, I don't think any single mother out of wedlock is confident they can do it on their own. No. Like they're like, how am I gonna how the hell am I gonna do yeah. this? When I was in Michigan, we worked for um, years, and in fact, I'm s- still waiting to hear back because it's it's gone around since I've been there. So that's ten years ago. Um, the policy at the Lutheran school in town, and this is, I discovered this is pretty standard. Most Lutheran high schools, if a a girl gets pregnant, she is expelled. Now, some have been progressive in air quotes. That they said, well, also the the father should get expelled too from the same school because you know we're against you know, sex before marriage and this and that. She's pregnant, she gets expelled, and they go, well, all you've really done is taken them and putting them outside of the church and outside of grace. You say we forgive you. I mean, you can't come to school here anymore because that's you might hear about Jesus and forgiveness and stuff, but we do forgive you, so go in peace. So just to rewrite that, um, my thought was. It, I agree with you have broken rules and there should be consequences. I said expel and then immediately the next day bring them right back in and then um, – because everybody's worried about celebrating it or it, now it's not a big deal. All the girls are going to go out and try and get pregnant. No, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> but what this does is it keeps them inside of the community with a support structure and I am – I am confident. I have a little bit of inf- inside information on it. A lot of young girls in Lutheran high schools were getting pregnant. Mom and dad involved saying, we can't, you can't get expelled. That's going to ruin. I mean, how are you going to get into another high school? In with, college. In like, college and this and this and this. So they go have an abortion. Yeah. So Wouldn't it almost be better that girl come in and talk about the gory graphic horrific parts of her pregnancy <laughs> and so every girl there is like <laughs> but truly like the, the what it boils down to me is is when is a person a person and if we can agree that an unborn child is a person and I, and I haven't found anybody who's willing to say it's not a person I have but it's rare yeah, yeah I mean it, those people and, and then I tell them I say it then the discussion ends here because we're obviously not. Yeah, actually, I, I did. I take that back. One time, I was on a, a chat with a guy who I walked all the way to this point, and I said, well, "What you're saying is, until they're sentient, that they're not a person. Then that's usually around 18 to 24 months. So, are you willing to say a woman can abort her two-year-old child?" And he said, "Yes." And I was like, "Well, then we're just done." <laughs> 
<laughs> and everybody who's on his side in the thread was all of a sudden like, whoa. <laughs> so I didn't know that guy was that bonkers. But if it's if it's a person, then they should have human rights. Mm-hmm. And it's right there in the Constitution, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So do I, I believe women have rights over their bodies? Yes, but if if this right of, of uh, your body conflicts with the right of this person's pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness, now we have to decide which is more grievous. Right, and it's tough. I mean, this no, is not. <laughs> no, it's not because this is is a burden and it's a grievance for a woman to be pregnant with an undesired pregnancy is a burden and an inconvenience. But killing somebody is a bigger burden. There's yeah. no bouncing back from that. <laughs> yeah. I I just I brings back to my point though. Even though I'm in complete agreement with that, which I think you could probably talk me there. I don't think removing safe access would do us any good. I I think things would get worse. And I don't disagree, but I, I'm of the opinion that sometimes you do the right thing even if it has dire consequences. Okay. You know, Colin Kaepernick. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I love those memes that are going around. Some, when you really believe in something, do it even if it sacrifices half of everything and it's Thanos. And I was like, that is brilliant. <laughs> oh, it was brilliant. Uh, yeah. It's a tough one. It's one I always uh, – I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if legislating it away. I, I don't know. Again, I I don't get paid enough to probably know, but uh, I'm getting more comfortable talking about it because I would not yeah. have this conversation with you a year ago. I'd be like, yeah, I don't want to go there. Right. I mean, it's, it's things like... Because um, I'm, af- I'm always afraid that I'm going to... I'm not afraid of it, but I'm always afraid that I'm going to miss something. Yeah. And so I haven't thought it completely all the way through, and then all of a sudden I look like an ass Later oh, on, yeah. you know, like, oh, I didn't think about this little tidbit or this little piece of it <laughs> because it's such an emotional argument. It's not like talking – healthcare is kind of emotional, but like it's not the same. Like, no, not at all. It doesn't evoke the same emotional nope. battle and that's nope. – normally I just stay out of it and I still for the most part do, but I'm becoming more comfortable. I'm like I should be able to talk about things at least. Yeah. I mean it's it's one of those things where, again, getting back to just the rights and stuff, I'm, I'm one of those weird – guys and and i i have my one of my brothers is super progressive and we don't see eye to eye on this one and that things like i think that if in a in a um, job position if you have two equally qualified candidates i think it is good to make a hiring decision based off of diversity i just do and you might say well, that's not fair. And people who are against Title IX go, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. Like, you listen. <laughs> there is a community of, of, of people from various ethnic backgrounds who are disadvantaged. So, yeah, let's give them uh, – again, I, I don't think we should you know, give the, um, the job of firefighter to the um, overweight – 70-year-old woman versus the 20-year-old dude who can run up a flight of stairs. Like, no, I want the guy. Right. But if it literally gets to the philosophical debate of they are literally equal in every other way, I I have to agree with you there. I mean – So that is – that is – is that fair? Is it right? Are you stepping on um, fair hiring if you're considering race in your hire? Maybe. Maybe you are actually stepping on somebody's um, rights for that. And I go, I think – this is better. The the advancement of a culture and a community of people is better. Same thing when it comes down to these two different people have rights. 
this person um, is, I would say, not able to advocate for themselves at all and is very vulnerable, very marginalized. This person who is carrying that other person around for nine months at least can advocate, at least can um, make other choices. And if her rights over the choices of her body are violated for this child to be born, she can continue on. It's, it is in, to say it's an inconvenience is to drastically understate it. So right, I'm right. not saying pregnancy is just a bummer thing we went through. I'm just saying her life's not over. That's true. I mean, this, this unborn kid now now grows up and, and has a life. I mean, turning a wrench for a car is better than being dead. And it's also one of those things I have a hard time talking about because I haven't been there. Yeah. I, don't, I don't even have a womb. So. Yeah. At least I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't actually checked. Um, a doctor would have noticed by now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> every month for some reason. I, I have this know, great treatment good. for you. <laughs> Looks at the sales guy and gives me free pens. Yeah. <laughs> All right, dude. We've done two hours. Oh, wow. Easy cheesy, huh? Thanks for coming in after work. I appreciate it. On your last date. Not your last day of work, but. No, but before I walked out, I did give my, uh, my notice. So. Yeah, the first day of the rest of your life. I hope so. Awesome, dude. Cool. We'll see you soon. Awesome. See, what did I tell you? That guy is way smarter than Duncan and I combined. Uh, it's just the truth. Well, maybe not in stuff like theology, so ha. Got you there, don't I? I know Greek and Hebrew, which is useful in nothing except for this one specific thing that I do. <laughs> so there you go. But great conversation. Thanks, Brandon, for coming in. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Luke underscore Tim. Instagram is Luke underscore Tim. And, of course, Facebook, you can find me there. Or email me, all the things with Luke Tim at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody. Until next time, be good.